The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Mini Cooper Tom, and I am joined by my co-host, 2013 Volkswagen Passat Dan, <laughs> Steel Gray. <laughs> Thanks for the color. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll say this. What a lot of people, I don't, I try to not bring up the uh, trials and tribulations that are going on behind the scenes, <laughs> but there have been many arduous things. Uh, recently, besides moving, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I don't think I brought this up on any of our recent content, but like someone hit my car a month ago and I've been scrambling to find a new car in this market the whole time. And look, I know people in the comments will make fun of me, but yeah, I got a Mini Cooper S. Deal with it. Yeah. Hey, man, Mini Coopers are nice. I mean, I thought so. It's not as, you know, manly maybe as a Mustang, but. I, let's just put it this way. If you're trying to get some cars, a lot of cars, actually, certain models in the current market, it's just impossible without, even if you have yeah. good insurance, paying more than you paid a year ago for an inferior model. It's, you know, and I figure somewhat, since someone T-boned me in this in, in Na downtown Nashville, it's like, okay, well, if I get a smaller car, maybe I'll be harder to hit. <laughs> There's... There, there's less uh, length for you to hit for to be T-boned with a Mini Cooper. So you're, you, you're, you've you got a point there. And, and, and you know what? You know what, everyone? That thing slaps. It's pretty fast, actually, the one I got. So I don't know. I've been having fun with it. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward. Well, I'm happy I got something that wasn't more than it cost a year ago, despite being a used car. And I'm looking forward to hopefully not getting hit again. Those are two pretty good wishes, I would say. Not getting hit is always on the top of my priority list, I would say. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I guess I'll bring up one other thing, which is that, of course, this episode's coming out later. We weren't really sure what to do. It would have been a full episode, roughly, I think, at least an hour 45 if we recorded at the normal time, mostly focusing on, like, Raptor Lake and E3 stuff. But... FSR is coming out, you know, came out Tuesday. I have a video out that's doing very well as of the time we're recording. Uh, so that's cool um, uh, with my analysis. We'll get to that later in the podcast. But it wasn't actually just the FSR release that made us delay the recording. Um, it was also, Dan, you had a wedding back in our homeland of Illinois that you had to go Illinois. to. Yeah, my one of my best friends from high school got married, so... Um, you know, that was the first time I've seen my friends in like a year and a half because of the pandemic. So that's pretty cool. We're all vaccinated now. So, uh, I can travel the country yet again. Not Canada yet though. I don't know if you've looked not into Canada. that, but they're just, let's not get into it. Um, <laughs> apparently they don't trust us, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think we could have recorded Sunday night or Monday, but you, <laughs> 
Combine the fact that we would be recording extra late and you would be underprepared with the fact that FSR is coming out. And it just made sense to have this come out later, I think. Yeah. Plus, I was exhausted we're, from the tribulations. We're, we're sorry, people. Yeah. It, it, it's coming out late once. We're sorry. The only thing that made me consider not pushing it back is the fact that a day after this comes out, at least in the free feeds, Windows 11 will be revealed. So. But we can't just keep delaying the well, podcast forever, and that's not as important for gaming in the short term. And I don't know. Who knows? Maybe Windows 11 will be announced. My guess is it's going to be something incrementally different than Windows 10. So uh, There seems to be I new snapping know. features and, of course, the scheduling stuff for all yeah, the way. Yeah. But outside of that, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. But, you know... I think we're glad we delayed it to cover FSR, Uh, (laughs) but uh, we'll get into that later. First, let's get through the opening reader mails as quickly as possible, because we do have a lot to cover in this episode. CW writes in, and he says, Dan is obviously the reincarnation of Socrates. That is why he says, I don't know. He is really saying he has true wisdom from his knowledge that he doesn't have knowledge. Quoting below, one thing only I know, and that is that I know nothing. Plato. So there you go, Dan. I mean, I don't know, man. I guess I'm Plato. Or maybe you should just stop saying that, Dan. Uh, uh, I don't know. I think I'm going to. Okay. Blokes writes try in. Try to make that my last Bloke, time. This I'm done. Blokes writes in. Can you know for certain that the GPU drought is not a conspiracy by big tech to buy out all the cheap GPUs to kill the under $300 USD segment of the market? You know, I mean, obviously, this was kind of a joke question. That's why we're reading it near the beginning. But I mean, I think some people do, maybe not this specific conspiracy, but do think there is some conspiracy going on. And that's just so not true, though. <laughs> the The best example I can come up with is the consoles, uh, like especially the PS5. Like they can't keep it in stock. Do you think they didn't want to sell 20 million the quarter four? <laughs> If Sony no, could have, they didn't. They would have. They. I'm sure they're furious. And the same goes for AMD. You have to remember that AMD's trying to take market share from Nvidia, and it's if everyone just agreed to not do something, okay. But that never happens. One of them will try to take market share, and so then Nvidia also has to try to make as many as possible. These companies wish they had 10 times more GPUs to sell. Now, some of them have different strategies about who to sell those GPUs to first, it seems, with NVIDIA selling directly to miners. But outside of that, all things being equal, they all wish they had four times the product. Xbox, PlayStation, I mean, Switch even, probably. Um, like, every, like even yeah. that's selling out. I, I, no, these companies wish they had more. I mean, and it's just getting to a point where TSMC could probably make, like, four fact new foundries and still not have enough to meet demand because demand is just so, so high now. So, Well, that's actually not true, though. <laughs> TSMC's got capacity. It's substrate. Do they have cap- yes. Oh, they were right, down right 30%, Dan, last year. They were underproducing at first because they expected less demand during a pandemic. So what people need to understand, including you, apparently, Dan, bad Dan, is that TSMC wasn't even at capacity in 2020 because they didn't think there'd be as much demand. Now they're at it. And if you look, and I think I've linked to this in multiple videos and podcasts, prices are coming down. It just takes months to get capacity online when they shut it down. And I know 
what they are still saying they think there's going to be shortages up through to some extent up through next year so i mean hopefully we'll see prices fall throughout the year uh as supply meets demand more but well i I, that's what i've heard is 2022 is 2023 is what they're foreseeing as having capacity issues yeah We'll just have to see, and uh, let us move on to corrections and omissions. Jensen Wang writes him, Tom, I want to challenge you on Alder Lake being an Intel is dead if it fails moment in similar statements you've made in the past. Server is the high margin sector, and Intel's always been a manufacturing company. I do not think it'll be good for Intel if Alder Lake sucks. And if GG2 sucks for that matter, but it isn't a threat to their company. They're a manufacturing company. They've always fundamentally been a manufacturing company. So I think that, uh, well, first, thanks for writing in, but I don't, I think this misunderstands my point of like Alder Lake is the make or break moment for the short term for Intel, which I have said. I'm not saying that Alder Lake is all of their sales. What I'm saying is Alder Lake is the product I'm watching to indicate if Intel can do new things, right? And if Alder Lake fails, why would I have any confidence in anything else coming out, including Sapphire Rapids? Why? Because if if Alder Lake fails, ultimately it's just, oh, so we're still stuck in the Ice Lake era of Intel. And I know it's a new architecture and everything, but it... If they had to bail on that big little concept a year in, I think they'd be screwed because I'm uh, at least all the leaks that are coming out right now, I would assume they're kind of married to that concept for at least a few generations. Right, which is a point that I made and something, of course, that you know about from the leaks that we're just not going to talk about for a long time, which is what Intel has coming over the next five years. Like, Jensen... Thank you for writing into us from NVIDIA, but listen here. (laughs) Do you not think that maybe Alder Lake is an indication of how they're going to organize a lot of their upcoming architectures? Might I suggest that Sapphire Rapids is one of the last server chips to be all big cores? Hmm. Hmm. Would that... Do you really think that if the way Alder Lake is organized is the only thing they're working on that's organized in a fundamentally new way that requires new scheduling? Uh, If Alder Lake fails and continues to fail, like not just a rocky launch, let's remember Zen 1 kind of had a rocky launch and it was pre-revolutionary. If it fails flat out, that tells me nothing new they're trying works, (laughs) including what I know is coming after Alder Lake that kind of depends on Alder Lake being good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let's just put it that way. I'm not saying Alder Lake is the big money maker, and if it fails, they lose all the money. But I am saying if Alder Lake fails, then I'm just going to throw my hands up and go, all right, let me know when Intel can do anything competent. I mean, yeah, wake me up in 2025. Exactly. Intel makes another product. Whereas if Alder Lake is good, then I'm very excited about what's coming out in 2022, which, on that note, Dan, I think we should get to story number one. Story number one, Moore's Law is Dead leaks 24-core Raptor Lake details. Zen 4 has competition. And here's a little write-up I put together. Roughly half a year ago, the codename Raptor Lake started popping up often on some leaked roadmaps with scant details. The details are not scant anymore, thanks to MLID. In summary, Moore's Law is Dead leaked the following in a recent video. 
First of all, Alder Lake. The lineup contains the following. I-9 is 8 plus 8. 8 big cores plus 8 little cores. I-7SKUs on desktop are 8 plus 4. I-5K is supposedly 6 plus 4, with I-5 non-K models mostly being 6 plus 0. And I-3 remains 4 big cores, no little cores. There is an 8 plus 8 65-watt mobile I-9 planned as well, and most of the mobile chips will be 2 plus 8 or 6 plus 8, depending on the die, right? 6 plus 8 being for the H1s and 2 plus 8 mm-hmm. being for you. Additionally, about, I mean, at this point, what, like three weeks ago, Dan? we I leaked that Windows 11 will bring large scheduling improvements for Big Little in October next to the Alder Lake launch. I have to point that out because there's a couple websites acting like this is some exclusive revelation three weeks later. And additionally... Alder Lake is expected to double performance at same power over previous-gen Tiger Lake and Rocket Lake in certain SKUs. This comes with double the multi-threaded performance and 20% higher single-threading. So, yeah, that's a very big deal for Alder Lake. We basically know everything to expect now for that. But in that same video, I was able to put together early Raptor Lake information with Raptor Cove big cores and the same little Gracemont cores that will go up against Raphael in late 2022. Raptor Lake indeed is eight big cores and 16 little cores. And although the little cores are the same as Alder Lake in terms of like architecture, although there's twice as many now, the big cores will have higher clocks, higher IPC, better DDR5 support, and lower power usage at same performance than Alder Lake. In other words, Raptor Lake is a decent upgrade over Alder Lake. It is not some 5 to 10% boost. And finally, there are other tidbits released in that leak as well, like NVIDIA talking to Intel about fabs in the future in case they needed more capacity, Intel and AMD being more worried about Apple than each other, and Mac Pro chips coming with one being supposedly a 32 big core plus 8 little core configuration for one model, which is interesting. Kind of seems like the opposite of the way uh, <laughs> Intel's planning yeah. to do things. So that was a lot, damn. Oh, and I also put in a couple le- links that came out after that, which is other leakers suggesting that AM5 is coming, uh, what is this, uh, like late 2022. Uh, well, AM5 coming quarter to 2022, but Raphael coming out way after that, and Raptor Lake coming quarter three 2022. You know, I, I would say if they can manage to get Raptor Lake out in Q3 2022 and presumably Alder Lake, what, Q4 this year, and there's that big of an iteration on the Alder Lake big little concept in just, that's what, like nine months, that would be a huge deal. And I think that that would suggest Intel is back like AMD was back when they launched Zen Plus. Yeah. <laughs> Where... I, I mean, I think that's really good news. I'm a little sad to see on Alder Lake that the i3s are still going to be four plus zero yeah. cores, although. I mean, right, 20% like higher IPC, four cores, eight threads. Yeah. I, I get it. I was kind of hoping, you know, they would just get rid of the four cores, i3s would be six cores, and then the i5As would just be what the i5s were. Yeah. But, you know, other than that, uh, <laughs> nothing to complain about if that's what Alder Lake delivers. I mean, that's going to compete with what AMD has right now. And if Raptor Lake delivers, I mean, I think that could, at least in gaming, beat, uh, what, Zen 4. So, yeah, I don't know. I think we I think we have an exciting year for CPUs next year. Then, Well, let us say I don't necessarily endorse the assumption that Raptor Lake would win in gaming, but there's a chance it could. 
us yeah. and, and and that chance is I feel a big deal because I think we're all assuming Zem Four is just going to come out and raffle stomp everything. That's been the expectation. Why wouldn't it be? We didn't think Ra- I, I everything I was hearing about Raptor Lake was again little details, maybe like a slight IPC bump, slight clock speed. That's in better IO. I didn't. I wasn't aware it was going to bring double the little cores and a decent uplift until recently. So, yeah, I mean, what I what I would say then is think of it this way. Right now, let's just say, I guess let's say Zen 3 is slightly ahead of Tiger. Or it's about, let's just say it's about even. Maybe give the edge to Zen 3. Uh, I, well, I don't know if you would. It's it's definitely a little ahead of Rocket Lake, but maybe not Tiger Lake. Um, mm-hmm. So let's let's just say they're even, though. Okay. Well, so Alder Lake should be 20% better, and I expect Zen 4 to be at least 20% better single-threaded. With it, it could be 30% or more. Um, well, that means Zen 4 should just beat Alder Lake easily. Yeah. But if Raptor Lake is higher IPC than Alder Lake and higher clocks, there's a chance it could compete directly with Zen 4. I don't think it will. And in fact, I still hear that Topping out at 16 cores, Zen 4 would still probably narrowly keep the multi-threaded performance crown and the single-threaded, but I don't know. We're going to have to see, and I have some sources at AMD thinking we might just trade the crowns back and forth for the next few years. Which, given that the uh, lineups are kind of staggered, that still shows that it's a pretty healthy market, But and you also have to take into account, like, sure, they're... The, there's going to be 24 cores on Raptor Lake, but it's still going to equal out to if uh, Zen 4 only releases with 16 cores, 32 threads for Intel and AMD. So yeah. we'll see if multi-threading beats out the 16 little cores or not. Well, and, and I've seen a lot of people ask, you know, why would Intel do this? And it's funny. One of my contacts, right, because... Not all your sources are from the same part of Intel. Mm-hmm. One of them, and this is one of my best ones. This is one that it's like, no, I've met him. He's he's a real guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he said to me, well, I can't confirm everything you're putting together here, but what I can suggest is this. In a recent Broken Silicon, you talked about how either they can solve Big Little or they can't. If they can, why wouldn't you just add a bunch of little cores? And he reminded me of a conversation me and you had, which... Yeah, that's what they're doing with Raptor Lake. I mean, and I think that's true. And I'm glad he reminded me, like, either you get Big Little working or you don't. If you do and you get it working close to perfect, then why do you really need more than eight big cores with crazy high IPC? You would think Mm -hmm. every architecture just keep eight cores, bump up the IPC as much as possible, and then keep like doubling little cores that take up a significant to take up notably less die space for the multi-threaded performance a bunch of them give you and just scale multi-threaded that way. <laughs> That's a really good point. And <laughs> what I know we've talked about it before, but what was it? it? It's like one of those little cores takes up like what, a quarter of the space of a big mm-hmm. core about something yep. like that. So far it does. So, yeah. I mean, assuming that scales that <laughs> if you can add four times more little cores uh, for every big core you have, I don't know. For multi-threading, scaling up that way might be way better. But let's remember, who knows? What if it's a bulldozer moment? I don't think it will, though. I think Intel, as someone said, all that's going to happen if it isn't going well is Intel sends over 10,000 engineers to frickin' fix Windows for Microsoft. (laughs) Like... And I and I agree with that, that there's just too much riding on Alder Lake and there and then following Raptor Lake and Meteor Lake success 
uh, for them to not. And maybe there's another lake in there, too, that other people don't mm. know about. Uh, Who knows? Before Lunar Lake that I haven't mentioned. Um, but that, you know, like all of the, uh, pretty much everything I can see is riding on this at Intel. So, I mean, it, it kind of has to work, at least okay. <laughs> but hopefully if there are any issues, like you said, it's just scheduling with Windows. So uh, they can send over their 10,000 engineers to fix it. Yeah, and I don't know that I have much else to say about it. It still kind of sounds like Raphael tops out at 16 cores, but I hope they go to 24 and keep prices reasonable just to keep competition going because I don't quite want into... I, okay, let me be careful how I say this. I want everything that comes out to be as powerful as it can be. It's not about someone winning. If Raptor Lake's 10 times better than Alder Lake, I'm glad it won then. <laughs> but... All things being equal, if AMD can keep the lead by putting out, you know, by going all out with Zen 4, then I hope they do just because I just feel like they need that one more year of keeping the lead and building up a war chest because, you know, before Intel really hits back extra hard. But I don't know. Again, we'll see with Alder. Like, it kind of seems like Intel won't catch up necessarily uh, within a year, but that they'll be in a much better position than they are now. Yeah, I mean, and people are already talking about uh, stagnation on AMD when they've had uh, 16 cores for two gens. So if there's three gens, people are going to be going crazy. I don't remember Intel when they stagnated on four cores, not for three years, but for 10 years, (laughs) giving you a 30% IPC increase gen over gen every time with like, yeah, so I don't think AMD is stagnating. Let's put it that way. But I don't want them to hold back at all. I want them to hold back at all. 24 cores would be a more interesting uh, lineup. So crossing up my fingers. Although, again, it's worth mentioning in my Raphael leak that we already covered. Most people in the comments said, I don't need more than 16 cores. So who cares anyways? I mean, and let's be clear about this. (laughs) You know, let me be very clear. Would I rather Raphael have 24 cores and 25% higher IPC or... 16 cores and 40% higher IPC. I think I'd rather have the 40% higher IPC and 16 cores. It That would be a departure from the more cores philosophy of AMD, though, unfortunately. Yeah. After that, maybe they'll just have to finally bring out four threads per core. Hmm. Cade writes in, with rumors that AMD is working on big little designs, do you think that they would make little cores a separate chiplet? Or do you think that their standard chiplet have both big and little cores Having the standard chip would be 8 plus 8, for example, and then having multiples of those. I could see advantages to both implementations. Well, I mean, right now, Alder Lake is, you know, monolithic for the core parts, to my knowledge. So I don't know how AMD would solve this. Um, I mean, it seems to work fine when they split up the cores into multiple chiplets, though. So, I mean, I don't know. I could see it either way. It really depends on how the scheduling works, right, and how many little cores they want to pair per big core. If it's like almost like a one-to-one delineation thing, then you almost would want to put both on one, but man, that would make segmentation insane. <laughs> like just what would, I guess, I don't know, maybe with some yields, maybe it wouldn't be insane. For packaging, I don't know, maybe it would be sexy to have them on separate chiplets, but I would have to wait to hear leaks, honestly. Yeah, so I guess I can't say for now and and then also, as of now, it seems like Intel thinks of tiles in a, just a different way than just... Although Sapphire Rapids is four-core tiles, so, mm-hmm. you know. Um, all right, let us move on then to story number two. Oh, this is the big one, Dan. Uh, oh, boy. 
AMD FSR launch. AMD nearly matches DLSS 2.0 without machine learning. And I have a write-up for this one. In this writer's opinion, the consensus of expectation for the FSR launch was that it would be better than DLSS 1, but not comparable to DLSS 2 in effective image quality. After all, it's brand new. AMD isn't using any machine learning, and their new frame-boosting algorithm, Fidelity FX Super Resolution, will be officially supported on GPUs going all the way back to Pascal and Polaris. With all of this in mind, how could something like this even come close to DLS 2.0, a technology that NVIDIA has been, in quotation marks, perfecting for nearly three years? Well, who cares? It did. In summary, FSR in Ultra Mode competes with the best DLSS 2.0 games in quality mode in both image quality and frame rate boost. Now, overall, DLSS 2.0 definitely edges out the win in image quality at max versus max uh, boosting settings. Sometimes it does look better than native and static images, for example, with DLSS, whereas FSR really never does. However, FSR at launch was close enough that multiple tech houses thought it was around the same level of quality to DLSS 2.0 in some games, which is a huge deal for an opening launch. Additionally, FSR seems to work all the way back, not just to Pascal, but to Fermi, and introduces no latency issues seen with DLSS in multiple games that this writer has experienced himself. And I have. DLSS is unusable in some games because it adds It's harder for me to aim. However, FSR isn't perfect. It definitely has more noticeable quality drops below 4K, just like DLSS, and any shimmering or artifacts seen in native resolutions are amplified by FSR, although new artifacts aren't added like with DLSS sometimes. Additionally, it could really use more support, something NVIDIA is already emphasizing they have an advantage in. Nonetheless, in lower resolutions, FSR still typically offers a better alternative than dropping the resolution further, and this is a promising launch, especially compared to the DLSS 1.0 disaster. All right, damn. I I mean, I put out a video today that basically made the argument AMD finally resolutely confirmed that Tensor Cores are in no way arguably for gaming. AMD's managed to do just about everything NVIDIA has without stupid Tensor Cores taking up the die. Clearly, Tensor Cores were for non-gaming tasks, and they shoehorned it in with gaming uses. Yeah, I know. I mean, this is the argument we've been making forever, but now it's official with how well FSR works, in my opinion. Which isn't to say that FSR is perfect, and and everyone listening, I know DLSS overall is better image quality, but... Man, it doesn't work on Fermi, and this is brand new, and it's pretty close already. Uh, what What are your takeaways, Dan? What What are your? I mean, what do you think? I would say pretty much at most resolutions, based on what I saw, except for maybe arguably 1080p, unfortunately, which is you know where I think 1440p and 1080p is really could, where something like this could shine. Is um, quality mo- the not quality the ultra mode seems to pretty much just be it seems like it's just worth turning on oh, unless yeah. you unless what you like to do when you play video games is zoom in on hair and look for the single artifact in one hair uh, on a piece of hair well i appreciated that gamers nexus review he literally has a portion where he doesn't show which one is which in a triple side by side he's like i'm gonna put this up for a minute so that you're forced to throw away your expectations and see if you can guess which one and then he finally shows it i was like that was such a good idea because so many people are coming into this with loaded you know opinions before they even see what it is 
That's definitely true. And, you know, once you see 4K native, you're immediately just pro <laughs> you're immediately just going to think to yourself, well, that's the better looking one, even if you don't take a close look at the image. But, you know, like I said, I think the ultra quality mode seems to be pretty much in every game it's in right now. There's no point to not turning it on in ultra quality mode. Performance mode seems to be a pretty different story, especially in 1080p. Where on performance mode, from what I saw, it looked like it looked pretty bad. It was like in 540p almost. Because, but, it, um, yeah, basically it was. It was in 540p, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, 4K, ultra quality mode with all of the games that's in right now, which isn't many. You pretty much just get 30%, 30 to 40% more performance in, like, whatever card you're using. That's seems like a really good new feature and the one thing i would say is i hope performance mode gets better over time or i mean the, the entire thing just gets a little better over time and i hope it gets added to a lot more games quickly because as of right now it's only in like what seven um yeah i believe it's seven at launch although i think i read there's like 40 something games that have already announced that they're going to add it and they have a bunch of deals with a bunch of companies like ea so I'm sure it will be in a lot of games soon. Right. And I mean, I, I'm trying to think of what else there really is to say here. I, it, it overperformed my expectations. I assume you'd say the same, right? Um, I mean, definitely. Like, especially the ultra mode where yeah. you're pretty much just getting a free 30% performance boost with the way I would put it is functionally no loss in quality. If you once again, zoom in on one little object, you might notice a new artifact there that wasn't there before but overall it seems like it's a really good solution that if it can be deployed in a bunch of games really quickly it's a new killer feature just you know for all hardware in general well let us say this ben cannon writes in just like you guys can if you support us on patreon and he says what is required for dlss implementation on Linus Tech Tips FR, FSR review, they said a game developer that they talked to only spent two hours of programming before FSR was implemented. FSR, let's say, to make an easy comparison, has DLSS 1 quality. I completely disagree. It's DLSS 1 was like throwing monkey feces at your monitor and saying, look at the new quality. DLSS 1.0 was terrible. <laughs> And people have <laughs> forgotten this. It is not DLSS 1.0 quality. I've tried DLSS 1.0, and it's funny how forceful I'm being because one of my contacts said on Discord after he saw my video, like, that's a pretty aggressive title you've got there in your video. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not known for being subtle. I am, people need to, and I open up my video, uh, my analysis video, remembering NVIDIA's announcement of DLSS and how bad it was back then, because people need to check their memories. It was so bad. Um, to actually answer your question, what's required for DLSS? I mean, I have a link in the description of my new video to where NVIDIA's got an hour and a half where they talk about Turing. I mean, they say it takes trillions of train like calculations well, yeah. to train a model. Uh, I mean, it takes a lot. Like, basically, NVIDIA has to have like tons of computers train it for a specific game and then implement it themselves. It's a whole task to do. Whereas with FSR, it's just kind of an open standard that's packaged and ready to go. And you just kind of inject it into 
your game's rendering. It's not something you can just easily mod in according to AMD, but it is something that if the developer has the source code to their game, they should be able to add in in a day's work at, at the most. And that's what a contact to Linus Tech Tip said, and it is that simple. FSR is pretty close to DLSS while being hilariously easier to implement, like almost a non-factor to implement. And DLSS requires a lot of money to implement. Yeah, and after hearing that uh, a dev spent two hours to put it into the, to integrate it into their game, like, oh, I think this is going to become, if not ubiquitous, pretty close to it pretty soon, as long as the feature keeps improving over time. Because, like you said, DLSS requires machine learning algorithms to, and trillions, I guess, of hours to. No, not hours. I forgot what it was, like cycles or something. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm sh- and a bunch of computing power to integrate it into every game that they want to integrate it into. Uh, I mean, if it's just easier to integrate FSR, I'm sure you're going to see it start popping up a lot more often. Yeah, and I mean, I'm trying to think of like what else I want to say about this. Like, I know I'm coming off super hard on this, but the way some people are dismissing FSR, which is, I mean, I really, I mean, I checked the. Hardware Unboxed Review, Gamers Nexus, Linus Tech Tips, and Tech Power Up. And I really like the different niches people tried to fill, like Gamers Nexus tested on an APU, uh, on on a Saison APU for their main (laughs) thing. And Hardware Unboxed spent an hour in Adobe Premiere in post trying to touch up the image so that it looked as good as native. And he said FSR looked better. And Linus Tech Tips took one of those active cables that adds AA, mm-hmm. and I have one, and it works. And they compare lower res FSR to one of these kind of like meant for last gen console cables. And the active cable with a chip in it wasn't as good as FSR. Is it as good as DLS, the best DLSS 2.1 implementations or soon DLSS 2.0? Of course not. But it is just by far not something that you're getting from other things besides DLSS. And it doesn't require machine learning. And and, and as Video Cards tweeted out, it works all the way back to a Fermi GPU and it almost doubled the frame rate. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, and to Ben Cannon's where he said, like, FSR is essentially DLSS 1.0, except it's easier to implement. You know, I was expect going in expecting something a little better than that, but I was expecting something in between DLSS 1.0 and 2.0 in terms of quality. And that's what we got, I suppose, but a, a lot closer to 2.0 than 1.0. I just, you know, I haven't played it. I haven't been able to use it myself yet because I don't think I own any of the games that it's on, that it's been implemented in. But, and that'll be an, its own thing when I actually get to try it myself. But based on everything, almost everyone has said, uh, it's clearly a, really, really great feature, like almost ubiquitously has been praised. The fact is FSR is not DLSS. It doesn't try to make a better than native resolution. It just tries to work on everything and give you a big performance boost. And I was talking to another tech sites, um, uh, for one, I won't say which one, but for one of the ones, you know, that we talked to a lot and, you know, one of the ones that I'm talking about here and, and he goes, you know, some of these other reviews, uh, like, didn't even look at the performance. They just looked at image quality, which is insane. It's about the performance you get for the image quality. And you should be very skeptical of any reviews that uh, you should just be be skeptical of some of those other ones, it seems. 
Yeah. Air Rats writes him, hey, Tom and co-host, well, Stan, seeing FSR on the 1060 with a 41% FPS uplift in Godfall, what level of gaming performance would you expect from non-gaming APUs? I'm looking at Intel Iris Z, laptop AMD Vega, that sort. If it becomes ubiquitous in most games within a few years, imagine your bog-standard laptops, you know, that a college student might carry, playing Overwatch on 1080p medium or low at 60 or so. It would be interesting if game developers started developing games with normal laptop APU plus FSR as their hardware target for 1080p low. Could open up APU gaming as a larger niche in the market, widen the possible scope of the market for casual gaming, and make Alex from Low Spec PC Gamer very happy. I feel like that was a, just a plug there at the end for some reason, <laughs> but we'll let it slide this time. Um I mean, that's, I'm told directly that is one of AMD's main goals, is they want to widen the amount of gaming that, amount of gamers that can play AAA games, and that that's why devs are excited, because devs don't want, devs don't care what performance 3090s are getting, frankly. Devs just want to know what most people have, and can they run their new cool game? And if this would allow, for example, Saison, a Saison laptop, to run Battlefield 2042, that's far more interesting to dice than a 3090 getting 30% higher performance. Yeah, because oh, I, I guess I won't say how many people buy bought a 3090 because I don't know. But <laughs> if it's accessible to people that have Saison, I mean, that's it's essentially an accessible game to everyone at that point. And, you know, I think based on what I saw, 1080p whereas, was where it was the most lacking or lower resolutions is where it was the most lacking. So... Hopefully, it becomes a better feature at lower resolutions over time. But um, also, I don't know. I feel like I feel like APUs are going to be able to do 1080p 60fps gaming even without FSR in a couple of years. Pretty especially with pretty like easily. Rembrandt. Um, yeah, yeah, and what Intel's got coming uh, probably with like Raptor Lake APUs. So I'm looking at Gamers Nexus, who I mean, to answer your question, Airats. Mm. used Cezanne for his review, which is an interesting choice, and I'm glad he did. And uh, because he did, thankfully, I can just say, like, without FSR in Anno 1800 and 1080p low, he was getting 74 frames. And then with ultra quality, it boosted the frame rate by, like, 20-something percent. So at least in this one, it's not by... Yeah, and then it's a not doubling in performance mode. So it seems to be less of a boost than what you got with a dedicated card at least a dedicated AMD card. But the boost is there. And I mean, yeah, with ultra quality mode, he's getting 90 frames in 1080p. I bet he could have afforded to bump it up to medium now. And it wasn't even the top spec one. It's not even the top spec one. It's the near top spec, so. Yeah, so, I mean, they go watch the Gamers Nexus uh, review of FSR if you want to know that. But I don't know. It sounds like they're already there kind of with FSR then. Uh, so in other words, I mean, I would expect similar things out of Iris C then. Right. I have no reason to yeah. expect Intel would do it much worse, especially with like Raja showing active interest in it. And Gamers Nexus says they're going to test it on a dedicated DG1 card. Uh, but anyways, Bullethead writes him, given how well FSR seems to be working, even with hardware it wasn't officially listed as supporting, like GTX 900 cards, for example, what do you think the low-hanging fruit for improving the software solution could be? It seems like the biggest weakness is when you start at a low resolution with less picture information, that doesn't seem like an easy fix without a temporal solution like DLSS and TAAU use. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not a programmer nor a hardware engineer, so I'm not going to comment on what the next thing to do is. I mean, you know, 
I talked to Tim at Hardware Unboxed uh, after he put his review out a little, and he said, yeah, he really did the Adobe thing because he's just like, like, what is it they're doing to make this work? <laughs> and he couldn't replicate it. So there's definitely some secret sauce going on here. And it has been mentioned then that this might not even just be used for gaming. They may like put this into Adobe <laughs> for just as yeah, an option. I mean- if it's better than what Adobe's sharpening is, why wouldn't they? Exactly. So that's really exciting. But what I will say is there is more fruit to be picked. That I know that this is just step one. And I've, I put out a video before FSR came out talking about how they've got big enhancements coming with the mindset of RDNA 3, it all being ready with an updated version for RDNA 3's launch. And I've also had it suggested to me by a tech tuber today that AMD engineers say they've already made major breakthroughs behind the scenes for an update. That like what they're releasing <laughs> now is the vertical slice they got done that was ready to go and launch in June. And the one they're going to put out as a standard so people can just get it into games quickly now. But that they already have some major things that are increasing quality while reducing the amount of artifacts that they already have working behind the scenes. So I think before the end of the year, you're going to see an FSR 2.0 possibly just already. And I, well, and hopefully you do like, like we've said there, it's a really killer feature. And I think better than pretty much any, what most people are expecting, but there are still definite shortcomings that need to be resolved with it. Yeah. Ryvek writes in and he goes, this question would require the appropriate guest, but you hinted at some big ones upcoming. Would it be technically possible to use both DLSS and FSR together to get even greater gains? I would assume this would take a lot of work by NVIDIA if it could even be done. Would that be a way for NVIDIA to retain mindshare on DLSS as gamers would want to use both and cause people to think of FSR as completely non-competitive but additive? I mean, I, I can't say if they're going to, you know, I'm not 100% sure. What I will say is they have to do a bunch of training with at least some of their DLSS models, although sometimes they're not, apparently. Um, and so, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if, since it's an open standard, if they implemented some version of it in there. But the question is, is if it'll work well, you know, I don't know. And if it will be better than, you know, and when does that come out? Later this year? Will there be an FSR 2.0 out anyways to compare to it? Maybe. Yeah, I I guess we'll see about that because FSR, I guess, is an open standard, although I wonder if NVIDIA will want those to be mutually exclusive. So if you put DLSS in your game, FSR isn't going in it. I don't know. I'm sure we'll see some modder try to get it to work at some point if it doesn't get official support at some point, though. I, I kind of find that unlikely. I think a lot of games are just going to have both. I think we'll see yeah, if I'm I, wrong. You might be right. You know, I, I just I, don't I mean, think that's going to happen with how easy it is. A bunch of games what had AMD and NVIDIA's uh, solutions for what was it? Ambient occlusion, right? HDO oh, yeah. and yeah. HBAO. Yeah. They, I mean, it was, I mean, some of them only had one for sure, but a lot of them had both. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, it wasn't uncommon to have both. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. When we got through that, I'm trying to think, the only other thing really to add on to this story, which we've been talking about for about half of the show now, <laughs> it, which <laughs> makes sense. I mean, this is the biggest thing, um, is that NVIDIA, and I do say this in my v analysis video, is planning a response, though. And it's DLSS 2.2. It's already shown up in some game files. It's just not officially in like <laughs> in the menu of the game yet. 
Um, and that even these early versions that have been added and aren't officially out yet seem to reduce ghosting and fix more things for DLSS. So NVIDIA's definitely got an upgraded version probably coming in about a month or in under the month. And they're already announcing, like today, I believe, that Linux is getting DLSS support and that they have a bunch of more games coming. So I mean, that's all I'm saying is NVIDIA's answer, I believe, is to not make a ton of noise right now, but on launch day, just make the main point they're going to hammer is, hey, we're supported in dozens of games now, right now, and we have dozens more coming this year. And then also wait, kind of let AMD get some of the spotlight, both good and bad. You know, some review sites didn't say all good things about FSR, which it's not perfect, so it's whatever. Yeah. But... That that what they'll kind of let it die down after a couple of weeks, and they announce DLSS 2.2 and say, "Hey, yeah, FSR is there, but you get this, and you only get this within with Nvidia cards." And in fact, I also make the point that I also want to bring up here that I I don't see Nvidia going away on DLSS anytime soon, though. That it's clear they're going to try to support it on everything, as many games as they can. They will pay for it, and in fact, it's worth it for them to do that. It's worth it for them to pay to put it into the games because they have the resources and it's advertising. Like every time you go into the game menu and DLSS is grayed out if you don't have an <laughs> NVIDIA card, that was an NVIDIA ad every time you pull up the menu. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, we're talking about how uh, much easier it is to integrate FSR, but still supported in far fewer games than DLSS 2.0. Exactly. And we'll see how different that is six months from now. But, you know, it, do it, it doesn't become... A valid argument at the end of the day until they've proven that FSR can be integrated in more games faster than DLSS. Yeah, I mean, and, and so I make the comparison then to G-Sync, where G-Sync was first, NVIDIA argued it was better, and it kind of wasn't when FreeSync came out, but, you know... They then had like a G-Sync premium thing. They advertised it and G-Sync didn't go away overnight. In fact, it's still going fairly strong in some ways. So I kind of see that being how FSR versus DLSS will pan out. Although again, FSR really isn't the same thing as DLSS, but we're going to compare them. Who cares? Yeah. Um, and so it's all going to come down to if AMD plays their cards rights and really does get in there and go, hey, look, it's easy, but do it, add it, add it to your game and actually keeps innovating on it and markets it correctly as like a frame booster, not as a DLSS image quality competitor. Like if AMD plays their cards rights, I think this would go far better than FreeSync versus G-Sync or at least the adoption and competition between them will be much faster than where FreeSync, I remember, was announced and everyone was like waiting for FreeSync monitors and it was like two years later, they finally were easy to find. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Like you said, NVIDIA, every time they have that little DLSS thing grayed out, NVIDIA's a lot better at advertising their products than AMD. It's worth their, their money if they have it to keep doing it anyway. <laughs> so, all right. I think that's been a sufficient FSR discussion. I would agree. Story number three. RX 6900 XT with 18 gigabit per second launching to system integrators first. If I write up here... The potential for AMD releasing a highly binned liquid-cooled edition of the top Navi 21 chip has never truly been disputed. Indeed, all the way back to October of 2021, Moore's Law's Dead, at least, was confirming that AMD was considering at the time using 18 gigabit per second GDR6 in liquid cooling on the top model. However, this model never released in 2020. Although since then, we have seen other people leak 
reference liquid cooling models. We know of an XTX-H die, and AIBs have launched their own liquid cooling models themselves. And of course, Samsung's 18 gigabit per second chip has been around for years to no one using it. Again, the potential for a 3090 killer, in quotes, has been a looming presence, though never in our face, until now. On June 16th, numerous websites foreign to the U.S. listed a 6900 XT liquid-cooled edition that is as follows. 330 watts board power. That's a 10% increase in power over the stock 6900 XT. 18 gigabit per second memory, which would bring about a 14-15% increase in bandwidth and 10% higher core clocks, including liquid cooling on this as the reference model. However, don't celebrate just yet. Moore's Law did release a video the following day that confirmed the following as well. AMD has no current plans to sell the reference model from their website. This would give it an official MSRP if they did. Additionally, AIBs are preparing models with XTXH dies and 18 gigabit per second memory, but they aren't launching in large volumes to do it yourself soon. The entire point for now of this 6900 XT liquid cooled edition is making good with system integrators who are apparently desperate for high-end cards to include with their gaming pre-built and are also tired of the high power and cooling requirements of GA102-based products. In conclusion, this does seem like a clear 3090 killer, but it is not destined for do-it-yourself this summer, at least not as of now. And also, since writing this up, I can confirm because I have a 3080 Ti in my system, this thing uses a lot of energy. Like it heats up rooms while idling. It's if I was a system integrator, oh, yeah. I wouldn't want to bother with this at all. My power supply, even though it's a compact PC, handles it fine, it seems. But I don't know how much I'm gonna overclock it in the review. Uh, but uh back on subject. I mean, what did you think about seeing final official confirmation of this 6900 XT, like liquid cooled edition? You know, it <laughs> I guess especially if there's demand for um, system integrators to put them on into their systems, like it doesn't really take that much to press the 6900 XT past uh, 3090. Uh, so I, I can't say it's a surprise that even if this is just a thing that they barely launched a DIY, even if at all, it makes sense to just kind of launch it as a thing to say we technically have the strongest card because... Like, what is it? You need 10% stronger than it is right now, maybe, to clearly beat uh, 3090 in 4K. I, I hope it gets released to DIY, even though I bet they would, if they did, they would sell it for something like $1,500 or honestly whatever the hell price they want to, because at, at these price points, whoever's buying this doesn't care about how much money they're spending. Right. And, and on that note, though, right. Uh, and I do, uh, well, uh, two things to what you said. In my video on the 6900 XT liquid cooled, like behind the scenes video, I point out that, I mean, in the 3080 Ti reviews, at least on like tech spot, I, I found the 3080 Ti was weaker than the 6900 XT in 1440p, like 8% better stock versus stock in 4k i mean there's a good chance that i don't expect like a 15 percent boost because at least in my experience and i asked other people too overclocking the memory doesn't help as much with navi 21 as previous gc mm -hmm. oh i'm sorry previous well just any amd architectures that are, were almost yeah. always banned with star for a while but 
it does help some, you know, so I don't know. I think it'd be 10% better. That's probably enough to make it firmly above the 3090 at everything, at every resolution, though. Like, that is still probably yeah, enough exactly. for, like, a 9 to 10% boost. And at the same time, though, I'm on Newegg right now. And when it comes to the price, like you said, why launch the reference model or launch it officially to do it yourself? The 6900 XT is in stock on Newegg right now, guys. The And there's, like, a $1,100 model. Oh, that's, no, that's not. That's... 6700 XT. Oh my God, that's pathetic. Jesus Christ. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, there's 6900 XTs that I'm seeing here. Well, they're pretty much all out of stock except for the top ones, I guess. And the top ones are liquid cooled. And these liquid cooled ones, some of them with a 6900 XTX H die, are over 2500. Like this Sapphire Toxic here, which Everyone in the comments or the reviews is saying you easily can push this to like almost 2.9 gigahertz, by the way. It 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 has the best eye, but it's selling for 2500 So why would AMD launch a reference card for, let's be honest, probably $1,500 or even 1200 mm -hmm. if they can just keep selling these dies to AIBs, you know? Yeah, there's really, there's really no reason to. Maybe we'll see AIBs release something like it. Or, I mean... AIBs pretty much are releasing it already. Not, not as fast name, memory, though, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Having, like, an official name and endorsement attached to it would give them good marketing material, I guess. Well, and except that none of them will be that price, and then they'd have to sell it from their website for $1,200. Like, because I assume they would yeah. consider selling this for the same price as the 3080 Ti, or at least the same price as the 3090, maybe in between their prices, honestly. And if they did that, though, then people have an MSRP to complain about, and it's not going to sell for that on the street anyway. So I, I think AMD sees no point in launching this to do it yourself right now. Everything they have on the market selling at exorbitant prices, prices are going to start coming down. And when they do, though, they reserve the right to launch this officially this fall, maybe before yeah. Battlefield 2042. But until then, they don't need to. Yeah. I guess the only other thing that I would add about this story is that I've seen some people say that the 120 millimeter radiator isn't big enough for the card. Yeah, it is, guys. Okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it is. Guys, show me them overheating. I doubt you will. Uh, almost all of these cards, the bottleneck is the pump, N not the, not yeah, the radiator. Nice. Like you just need a decent fan and then you need to move the heat out quickly enough. Having a bigger radiator isn't usually the bottleneck on these types of all-in-one coolers. Yeah, I mean, you would probably get, well, you would get better cooling overall, probably, but... Uh. Well, I mean, like, you've seen my liquid cooler in my PC, and it yeah. is, like, I believe a 280 millimeter uh, radiator that I managed to fit inside my compact case, barely, by the way, but its tubes are, like, twice as thick as other most other liquid all-in-ones, <laughs> and it has a bigger pump. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah like that's that's what you need and for 330 watts i actually don't think it's necessary um i think amd yeah. wouldn't have done this if it wasn't going to cool it well enough guys they've had all the time in the world to launch this crazy thought in fact they've made the the, the uh there was an original supposed leak of a 6700 xt cooler last year that was false it was actually the original liquid cooler without the tubes on it 
I don't know if you remember that. Oh. And if you look in the background, oh, yeah, you can yeah. kind of see the tubes coming out now if you look close. So that's mm. what that was. So they rem- And that had two fans on it. So in fact, they removed the fans on this reference model, meaning that it's more than enough to cool it. Um, mm-hmm. Nerds. You know, no matter what platform I use for a main benchmarking station, one thing that I always know will be true is that a long-term sponsor of mine, CDK Offers, will most likely be providing the keys. CDKoffers.com is a keys website with legitimate keys that supplies PlayStation, Xbox, and Windows software keys at a reasonable price for what you're paying for. Nobody wants to overpay for anything, including over $100 for Windows. You don't need to get a legitimate professional key of Windows 10 for a reasonable price from CDKoffers.com. And make sure you use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get a big discount on Windows software and DieShring to get a reasonable discount on everything on the website. Go to CDKoffers.com today and make sure they know Moore's Law is dead sent you. All right, let us move on to story number four. DG2 and RDNA 3 leaks continue to suggest optimism for 2022 competition. This was an amalgamation of a few other videos I've done and other leaks on Twitter and such, just because I I, I wanted to just kind of put this there as a quick discussion. I don't think we're going to do on this long, but I do have a write-up just kind of keeping these things in people's minds. So here's the write-up. This story will be brief. Both RDNA 3 and DG2 continue to spark optimism in MLID. In summary, RDNA 3 continues to be referenced as a massive performance increase similar to RDNA 2 in caliber. NVIDIA's follow-up to Ampere is almost certainly not Lovelace. See the video in the description for details from Moore's Law is Dead. And people doubling down on the codename Lovelace should have their leaks viewed with skepticism. Unless NVIDIA has a secret weapon they are working on, most sources of Moore's Law is Dead feel Radeon truly can win next year. Although, let's be honest, NVIDIA could have something secret up their sleeves. DG2 testing also continues on track for a quarter four or quarter one launch with leaks from non-MLID sources recently pointing to similar performance to what MLID stated a month ago. In other words, yeah, it seems like RDNA 3, it's not just going to be like, again, like I said in that original RDNA 3 early week uh, leak like a month ago, it's not like a, I think it's it's over a 50% boost and it could be around double. And it seems like it's coming before whatever NVIDIA's got. That And that's pretty exciting. Don't you think? <laughs> I, I'm, of course, very excited about DG2 just to see another entrant into the market. But I don't know, AMD, if, if RDNA 3 is another close to doubling even in performance to RDNA 2, that's, that that is getting to a point where it's, very, very impressive because I think doubling performance from RDNA one that before it came out, I think people viewed that as like, I don't less, less feasible than it really was because yeah. I mean, by AMD's own marketing, the 5,700 was a mid range card. So they're releasing high end cards again and doubling and doubling performance over a mid range card. That's not that big of a surprise now. Doubling pretty much 6900 XT or thirty ninety performance. I, that is yeah, very doubling two in generations a in a row. That's that would be crazy. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean it just seems like. And again, 
plug plugging my video where I put these updates out there. It seems like most AMD contacts think they'll have NVIDIA beat, but NVIDIA does probably have another big increase coming as well. Although the details on that are much more scant. Um, the other thing is DG2. Of course, you said you're excited for that. Seems like it's pretty good. I mean, it's coming out by quarter one, and it it really does seem like they're at least beating like, you know, like the 3060, 3060 Ti. And of course, I'm under the impression right now that they may even match or beat the 3070 Ti. And that's just, man, if they could do that with 16 gigabytes for $400 and like a 200 watt package, I might just get one. You know, I'm not keeping this 3080 Ti. Wow. It's absurd. <laughs> I think that would quickly become a very popular car. Yeah. If if that if it came out for that price, and right as the substrate issues are being fixed, that'd be fun. Mm, yeah. All right, Bullethead writes in. What's your what are your thoughts on AMD doing a quarter four 2022 launch for RDNA three and Zen four? On one hand, it feels like it makes sense since they did that in 2020 for the marketing synergy. Well, I mean, they did it when. Zen 3 was ready. I don't think it was just Synergy. But on the other hand, that means barring some kind of speed refresh for the RDNA 2 line or other gimmick in mid-2022, they're giving Intel basically a whole year to establish themselves in the GPU market, especially if they can pump out GPUs and keep them at or near MSRP. I mean, I would say, look, man, in AMD and NVIDIA as well haven't been able to keep <laughs> things in stock since launch. So I don't think they have anything to worry about. They're making huge profits on RDNA 2 specifically. I've heard like RDNA 2 is a crazy moneymaker. All models are right now. 6700 XT is making massive margins. So with that in mind, yeah, I don't think... <laughs> I think AMD will just drop the price of a 6700 hundred dollars to three eighty if they need to to be below the price of a you know DG two card if they need to or something. I don't think they're that worried, and I, you know, we'll cross that bridge when they get there. And it's not uncommon for generations to be out for one to two years. Pascal was twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen, and yeah, I think yeah. over two years if you think about like the first Pascal cards technically launched in summer, and then Turing was fall. So that's not uncommon. And otherwise, I would say I wouldn't double down on RDNA 3 coming out quarter four. It could, definitely could. But it could also, I still hear that it could come out mid-year. And Zen 4, on the other hand, yeah, that seems like that's coming out after RDNA 3. For AMD, I would just launch them when they're ready, but make sure they're extra ready. Yeah, and, you know, at least from every leak or thing I've seen suggested about DG2, it's not like it's going to come out and be stronger than the 3090 or 6900 XT. Mm. So I, I think it could be a really good product, but I don't think it's going to, it's not going to like bring a new tier of gaming performance. So AMD and NVIDIA can kind of just respond with the products they already have, even if DG2 comes out a full year before either of them, or hell, maybe even more if NVIDIA is going to yeah, be knows. taking a long generation time. But if they release something that's a little weaker than a 3080, I mean, AMD and NVIDIA both have cards that are stronger than that. So I don't think they would have a problem responding to it unless there's some insane manufacturing thing where they're way more expensive than 
uh, every bomb everyone's ever done on them. Basically, a way to put it is AMD and NVIDIA already have options. I mean, it's very simple. AMD hasn't even launched the 6900 XT liquid cooled, which is 10% better than what they have now. If they wanted to, they could easily launch that for $1,000, drop the price of the 6900 (laughs) XT to like 750, 6800 XT to like 600, 6,800, and then down to like 450 right next to where DG2 is probably going to be priced. And then the 6,700 XT down to 350, 6,700 to 300. Yeah, all of these are easy to, like the AMD can easily just mm-hmm. move everything down a segment in price or not even a segment, like half a segment. And that you'll just, they'll just go, hey, card's been out a year. Like, well, you care. You know, it's <laughs> more than warranted. And I don't think they'd even have to do that. NVIDIA, I think, is in a trickier situation with how absurd the VRAM capacities are on their cards. Like, I don't honestly know uh, what, like, because, like, so let's, because, again, you know, you go, oh, DG2 is in between a 6700 XT and a 6800 in performance, for example. Let's say that's what happens. Okay, 6800 has the same amount of RAM. Drop the price. We're done. Bye. Goes home. You know? Yeah. And, and Ampere, on the other hand, it's like, I don't know what they do with the 3070 Ti. It has half the RAM, uses 50% more energy, probably, because DG2 should be more efficient on 6 nanometer. I don't know what a- NVIDIA does. It's like, here's our half RAM, 50% more energy card that costs 50% more. Uh. <laughs> well, yeah, and there's a weird thing going on with Ampere where I feel like every time they add a new card to their lineup, they make Ampere look dumber. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, a, 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 since the 3060 Ti, every, every card they've added to the lineup has looked dumb, made the entire lineup look dumber. Well, and I continue, you know, to wonder why they're launching these other cards. I mean... I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it's... It, it, I think just launch an Ampere refresh, you know? Just launch a 30... A 4090... That is faster GDR6X with like liquid cooling or something, and it's like 20% better or 10% better, and just launch it at a more reasonable price. At make the third effectively, you know, make what the 3080 Ti is, the 4080, or probably give it actually more RAM than that. You know, like they have ways they could just like double VRAM across their lineup, bump everything down a, a tier and then they're fine if they do that but it doesn't seem like they're going to do that so i i don't know melodic warrior writes in for the fun of it i decided to start really speculating on what performance would be like tier for tier on rdna3 it then dawned on me that no matter how you slice it you really can't market any card for rdna3 to be only for 1080p they all would be 1440p performance at a bare minimum i suspect that is because the apus are being poised to take that place AMD already showed off during the Computex keynote that new APUs coming to the do-it-yourself market will be about 1080p 60 with average settings. If that is the case, would they really have any need to release any 1080p card ever again? I mean, the only thing I would say making Navi 23 an arguably 1080p card is its infinity cache limits. But from what I'm hearing, RDNA 3 massively increases infinity cache. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if like their mid-range card had more infinity cache than are uh, 6900 XT, in fact. And mm. if that happens, <laughs> yeah, they're, it, it, I don't think it's that they're poising or prepping APUs to take that market. I think that it's just, hey, we're strong enough that 1080p is a joke. It's like 720p was a joke. I mean, honestly, kind of a decade ago to run. <laughs> and I think we've been talking about this for a while now with 1080p. Like, unless you really want like ultra frame rates, like 240 hertz or something. 
Uh, 1080p is pretty much already at almost at that point. I would say, like, I'm looking at a benchmark with a 3060 on mm-hmm. it. Uh, the, the, the with uh tech spots benchmarking that's getting 116 frames per second on average in 1080p so i think there's already a strong argument to say that like you you could almost advertise something like the 3060 in my opinion as a 14 oh i think card for sure already. you can yeah like so what what will they advertise for 1080p cards i i don't know i think I think we're already at a point where you don't really need to advertise as the 1080p segment because you've been able to game at at least 60 FPS in 1080p and pretty much any decent mid-range card for a few years. Well, and to piggyback on that, uh, I'm pulling up my benchmarking I'm doing right now with a 3080 Ti. I actually have a 3060 behind me as well, and then I will have a biggest Ampere card here soon to compare to the 3080 Ti. <laughs> Very excited to see later this week. Uh, when I look at these benchmarks, though, it's like, I mean, in 4K in some games, I'm getting over 140 frames with the 3080 Ti. That's before we even talk about DLSS or FSR or turning down a couple useless settings. And then, okay, you go, well, that's the 3080 Ti. And then I go, okay. I mean, I'm benchmarking in 4K here. My 2060 Max Q still gets over 40 frames in 4K <laughs> in a couple games, <laughs> and no game was below 20 frames. And that's in 4K on a 6 gigabyte, 65 watt laptop card. Certainly in 1440p, I've never had a problem running any game on that graphics card. I mean, I'm trying to, like, I don't know what else to say. I don't think 1080p is that relevant anymore. And people get mad at me for why are you only benchmarking 4K? And it's like, because it's just quicker and I don't see a point in going lower resolution. Relatively speaking, I want to make sure there's no CPU bottleneck. And I think that's all I got to do. And I, for, for the sites that like their or channels, like their thing is comprehensive benchmarking. Like, sure. You know, like Gamers Nexus and Hardware Unbox, where they like make, 30 minute long videos for most graphic card releases. I get why they're still benchmarking in 1080p. Like that's what they do. But I, I, I don't, I think 1440p is a way more relevant benchmark than 1080p and same with 4k. And my reviews are usually over 20 minutes, but that's because I'll spend time doing side by side. And I just think it's a better use of your time to summarize an average of performance. I'm just going to use 4K. And then when I'm not in 4K or whatever, I'll just show side by sides and say, hey, in 1440p, this one, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Which uh, speaking about having problems in 4K, let us move on to story Dan, I'm just killing it with the transitions. You got to admit, the the quality of this podcast increasing and how good I am at transitions, it's just off the charts. Much like the 3070 Ti is not topping the charts in 4K. Let us move on to story number five. RTX 3070 Ti releases to near zero fanfare. And here's the write-up. While RDNA 3, DG2, and FSR news continue to percolate in the mainstream tech geist, NVIDIA launched a high-end card too, and no one seems to give a shit. In summary, the RTX 3070 Ti launched, 
It has eight gigabytes of GDR6X that massively handicaps performance in 4K and even in 1440p in multiple games. It is 10% stronger than the 3070 in raw rasterization, but it is also 30% higher TDP than the 3070. It has a $600 MSRP, MSRP as well, $20 higher than the 6800 16 gigabyte MSRP. Thus, let's just say it. This underperformed Moore's Law's Dead's expectations, and they weren't very high to begin with. How would Moore's Law's Dead describe it? Well, there's two main options for describing the 3070 Ti. It is either A, a weaker 6800 with half the VRAM, 16% higher power consumption, slightly lower rasterization performance, and a higher cost, or you could describe it as an overclocked 3070 that uses more energy than a thir- overclocked 3070 while costing 20% more. No matter how you dice it, this is a horrible card for a horrible price that is utterly pointless, and most people have already forgotten it's out. You know, I don't know how much more I have to add to that. Like, That's what I think. <laughs> the 3080 Ti and 3070 Ti confused me when I saw them launch. I mean, when I saw that they were announced and, you know, we've been talking about it for a while, mm-hmm. but I've always been wondering what what hole in the market do they fill? And the answer is neither of them fill any hole in the market. They just make Ampere look dumb. <laughs> like, that's it. The 3070 Ti is an 8 gigabyte. It is a weaker than a 6800, more expensive, has less RAM, and uses more energy. Like, I don't think there's really any other thing about a card that you can say makes it uh, a better purchase decision than the 6800 aside from i guess the i guess it has a uh, better ray tracing performance that's that's about it yeah but even then right like resident evil 8 has shown that rdna2 ray trace is okay newer games are showing rdna2 isn't bad at ray tracing yeah so at the end of the day, like what what is the point of this card aside from to aside from making the entire Ampere lineup look dumber than it already did? I, I'm because that's that's all I can see. Yeah, and I mean, when it, with regards to the thirty seventy Ti, which is the story, I, I would say, I mean, I guess it could have made some sense if it was five twenty nine, and then they like drop the price of the thirty seventy. To like four, like just slightly to around, you know, so it's more competitive with the 6700 XT or something. But they didn't do that. And people go, they don't need to. And I go, well, yeah, but eventually, like prices are coming down, guys. Eventually, this will matter. And so, again, like you said, Dan, I don't know what the point of the 3080 Ti is. If it was $1,000, you might go, all right. Well, the 6900 XT is kind of dumb for the money, but NVIDIA's got their answer to it. It's about the same performance at stock with less VRAM though still. So it's like, I don't, I don't see it. I don't, I don't know what the point is. They can't even keep the 3080 and 3090 in stock. So why launch something that is, yeah, I I think it's pointless. The only thing I can think is they are getting good enough yields where they can bin a certain number of their things, their cards slightly higher. So they're like, well, I guess we can make a hundred more bucks off of each card. Although, MSRP is fake, but well, what a lot of people <laughs> we, we haven't have been pointing out though, and I've pointed out uh, to a certain extent as well, is that the 3080 bins are almost consistently being sent to miners. So it stands mm-hmm. to reason Nvidia may have launched something that's only like 
15% weaker than a 3080 at closer to the price of a 3080 and then launch something closer to the price of a 3090 with half the VRAM to just put out cheaper to make models to gamers with less VRAM, skimping as much <laughs> as possible, then sending the rest of GA102 to miners. That kind of might be what they're doing. That might be what they're doing. Because it sounds like the 3080s you just can't get. Like, they're not even getting shipments anymore or something. Well, the 30... the. 3070 and 3080 TIs. I mean, 30, I should t- be clear. The 3070 TI or TI. The 3070 as, TI. As some executives might say. Uh, <laughs> they both have the uh, consumer-friendly hash rate limiter on, correct? Yeah, and it it's a, it's a limiter. You know, I tested the 3080 TI. I didn't yeah. tweak it at all, but it was getting the same or lower hash rate than my 3070 while using 340 watts while mining. Now, granted, I didn't undervolt it. I could have tweaked it, I'm sure. But I, that's worth pointing out that it still uses the same energy at stock that it would use despite the limiter. So, yeah. Now, that's just for Ethereum. And I'm yeah, that's not Monero works and onward, you know, yada, yada, yada. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. That's true as well. That they again, yeah, they're probably just sending the thirty eighty bins and some thirty ninety bins to miners, and they're sending the ties to gamers with less VRAM. And I mean, it, for the just gamers. making it annoying to mine and make money on the side. Which again, like this only hurts people with one graphics card who are mining on the side. Yeah, but you know now they can get their non existent thirty eighty TIs instead of their non existent thirty eighties. It's going to be great. Well, the final thing I'd say here is one problem I did have, though, is looking at the scores for this. Like, you know, I love TechSpot Hardware Unboxed, but they gave this a 75 out of 100. Really? A higher score than the 6700 XT, Steve? I don't know, man. (laughs) You literally called it pointless in your thumbnail. It gets a 70, pointless is a 75%. At least the 6800 XT brought more RAM and a slightly lower price than its competition. This is less RAM and a higher price than the 6800. How is this the same, a higher score out of 100 than the 6700 XT? I just want to bring this up. That's <laughs> I don't know. One thing I, I noticed. I don't know where the, the, I don't know how they do the scoring. I mean, it's, it's the benchmarks, but <laughs> I, I don't know how the scoring there works. Like, and then if I look at Tech Power Up's review, they say some pretty curt things about this card, and it gets the highly recommended award. Does every graphics card get the highly recommended award, Tech Power Up? Like, are you being paid to put that there? Like, because you just say, like, he basically says no one should buy this in the review unless you... Highly recommend. Highly recommended. (laughs) I mean, this is worse than like know. video game reviews eventually where like 10 years ago, every video game just got a nine out of 10 for some reason. This is just like giving a 75 out of a hundred to like clearly worse products than other things. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of agree with um, like, and this is with games, especially with the philosophy that like giving a number score to most things doesn't really make a lot of sense a lot of the time, but you know, they have to do it for some reason. Yeah. Because people want to see the number. I, I have nothing else to say about it, you know. And, of course, we plugged the living crap out of Hardware Unboxed uh, up until now. Uh, nothing nothing but peace and love for Steve and Tim. But I got to say, this was... I just don't see what's going on here with some of these scores. And it's not just Hardware <laughs> Unboxed and Tech Power Up. These are just the ones I decided to bring up. I'm like, really? 
Okay. I I just think it's worth mentioning in a friendly way. Um, (laughs) All right. Let us move on then to story number six, the E3 announcement discussion. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) So this was another big thing to talk about. I have a write-up. So... Indeed, E3 returned in 2021, by digitally on June 12th through 15th. Sony was absent. Microsoft definitely wasn't. However, besides the Bethesda MS presentation, which this writer believes was an excellent idea to combine the shows, there really were some boring press conferences. In short, this is what Moore's Law's Dead immediately remembers from this year's E3. Number one, Xbox showed a lot of games, and many of them are next-gen only, which this writer applauds. I am tired of last-gen games. Furthermore, a lot, although a lot was shown, it must also be emphasized that release dates for 2021 on the Xbox side still seem to be lacking. The no-games issue is not solved in this writer's opinion unless there are actual games to play. Even Halo Infinite has no exact launch date yet, which is a little concerning. Meanwhile, though, Xbox's most direct competitor, PlayStation, of course, showed almost nothing, (laughs) although it is likely (laughs) Sony is preparing its own big showcase once the E3 hype dies down. In fact, I think this has been a pretty obvious strategy with PlayStation in the past few years. Step one, let everyone show everything. Step two, stay quiet. Step three, have a big show after everyone has shown their cards and do so closer to the holiday season to build on momentum. At the very least, that better be what Sony is planning. They need to respond. Xbox is truly preparing to challenge them in 2022. The post-launch honeymoon period is coming to an end soon. Meanwhile, Nintendo revealed Metroid Dread, a Zelda Breath of the Wild sequel, a new WarioWare, a new Mario plus Rabbids, a new Mario Party, and many more were announced for Switch. Honestly, it's abundantly clear that whatever the Switch Pro is, it is not the start of a new Nintendo generation. Nintendo actually possibly had the best show. Oh, and Gearbox's conference was hilariously bad. So, I mean, it was just like, it wasn't a conference, basically. Um, So that is the write-up. That's my summary. And uh, I don't know, just kicking it right back to you, Dan. I mean, what what were your notables for me three this year? You know, I think the big notable thing for me was honestly uh, probably like Stalker 2 and Battlefield 2042. Looks like Stalker is doing some interesting, uh, some cool things i'm really excited for that to come out and battlefield looks like they're moving in a new interesting direction that um there's some things i'm a little worried about with it i'll say the gameplay looks like it's really good yeah but i'm i'm a little bit nervous about how they're reorganizing like the classes and everything in battlefield 2042 but i've never had a problem with like the four class structure i agree i never thought it was broken but yeah we'll, we'll see how that works out um I'm excited that they're like we kind of said that it seems like they're kind of doing a soft reboot of the series, though. So, yeah, I mean, those are the two things I think top line I'm most excited about. Yeah. Well, Sam Williams writes in and he says, you guys must be pumped for Battlefield 2042. What do you think of the trailer and gameplay footage, which you've already given your opinion? 
I mean, what I would say is so far what was shown was not lacking in the gameplay department. It looks really impressive, really big. I love the idea of like world ending storms and uh, natural disasters happening in the middle of fights to change things up. Kind of taking the ideas of Battlefield 4 to like an insane level. I love it. I absolutely love what they showed in terms of all of that and the weapons. Um Having said that, the graphics, the explosions looked incredibly good, including the fire. But outside of that, I don't know they looked much better than Battlefield 5, actually. Yeah, I I agree with that. I I guess I haven't seen the game up close and personally yet, but I I agree. Battlefield or DICE really hasn't been improving their graphics as much for a few games. I mean, Battlefield 4 and onwards kind of looked even. Yeah, especially like once you get to what, like Battlefront Two, probably or oh, something. Yeah. That that they, I mean, they look fantastic. So I'm not complaining, but yeah, it didn't at least immediately look substantially better than Battlefield Fives, at least from the graphics department. Well, and I I did see someone point this out. I think it was the Cherno, uh, who's a game dev who analyzes like videos. Uh, of new releases and he said it's he thinks it's running on the series x so maybe it's just like yeah it looks like if you had a high-end pc running you know battlefield 5 because this is running on the series x with 128 players and like you know i don't know if it was 4k you know and so this is what it'll look like on that console but that we shouldn't rule out that if you were to get you know, a 6900 XT liquid cooled or RDNA 3 or some hopper chip next year that it'll be possible to look a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, though, let me see here. I guess we're on the Battlefield talks. So let me pull this up. Uh, Trini writes in, I want to know PC specs for Battlefield 2042. I can't upgrade due to the current chip shortage, and I can't travel to the U.S. because of travel restrictions to bring in the parts myself. I hope the 1080 Ti is good enough to give me time to upgrade later. I mean, I think you're fine, man. I, I you're probably not going to be running it at 4K max settings. But no, <laughs> you'll be able to run I mean, it. Like, yeah, 1080 Ti, though an older architecture, is still in the ballpark of the next gen consoles. You'll run it fine. Yeah, and and somehow they're going to run this on the Xbox One. Which I mean, are you ready to see how that looks? The original Xbox One. I bet it looks not good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I think Battlefield 1 was like 720p60 on it. So, like, what's this going to be? Is it on, they're I keeping don't know. 64 players, <laughs> and I'm sure it'll be 30 frames. Or at least I assume it'll be 30 frames because of the 1.7 gigahertz pro- <laughs> 8 core. But I don't know. How is this going to run uh, unless, on the Xbox One? It does annoy me they're putting this on last gen, though. And and look, hey, what I've seen in the footage outside of some new effects, it didn't wow me in graphics like, you know, I don't know, like the Horizon or yeah. Unreal Engine 5 demo did. And I have Unreal Engine 5 now, and I've been able to mess with it. It looks great, guys. I mean, maybe it will kind of just look <laughs> like what previous Battlefield installments looked like on those consoles. I don't know. Because that's... I mean, that's the best you can hope for. And maybe they'll just decrease explosion physics, stuff like that, along with it. Your your 1080 Ti will be fine. (laughs) Sammy Good writes in, After watching the Battlefield 2042 trailer and looking through the Battlefield website, it seems all my fears and more are in the game. 
128 players is too many. I even think 64 is too many. That's well, odd because that's been the standard since Battlefield 2. With that many players, teams won't work together. Bystander effects, someone else will do it. And it won't feel competitive because one person makes a smaller, much smaller difference. I hate the hero shooter elements with specialists. Rest assured, there will be a season pass like COD and Fortnite. But they will release specialists every season that are completely broken that everyone will only pay, pay to win. It won't be competitive. It will have too many gimmicks. All right, all right. This is very spiraling down a negative path. I don't agree with the 64 player thing. First of all, I, I, this not an issue. And, and in terms of 128th players, what I would say is um, Mag didn't have an issue with command trees and previous battlefield games had some of it too, that they just kind of removed later to a certain extent. Um, even Killzone two had like 32 players with squad leaders setting objectives. So yeah, and, it, it's and, doable. And they just need to actually put in a command structure and I don't see why it won't work. Yeah, I, I will say the one uh, increased 128 players. Ho- hopefully it works out well. I could see an, a, a, a situation where, you know, it does turn out like a bunch of reviewers say, well, this game is just a little hectic. I could see that happening. And I do kind of a I don't I don't agree, at least because everything I saw didn't sound like they were just going to turn this into a you have to pay for every season. It doesn't seem like that it, yet, but thing. it is a concern of mine with, as with any new online game. Yeah, and I I agree. I I don't know how I feel about the whole like hero shooter elements they're adding to it cuz does that need to be in every game? Like does every game need to be a hero shooter now? I I I agree. I like the grittiness of like games where it's just like no, you're a grunt. Yeah. But uh cuz that mean when you accomplish major things, and that was something that I remember from Mag which was a 256 player that Zipper ran into the ground eventually. <laughs> um, and it, well, the command tree worked. Like, it totally worked. And people would say, well, is it going to be fun, though, if I'm one of uh, 128 players on a team and, you know, I'm only one person in, like, what was it, like a 32-player platoon? <laughs> yeah, platoons were 32 <laughs> <Yeah>. people. <laughs> so I'm just one of 32 people in a platoon, less a company of 128. Am I going to be able to make a difference? And it's like... I mean, if you're good at the game, I did actually quite a bit. And when I made a difference, I affected the tide of a battle of over 200 people. Like I remember us sneaking by at times and like taking out their anti-aircraft batteries behind the behind the front lines. And then that was it. All 100 of our players then started parachuting in into their base as you watched the defenders rapidly fall back with their vehicles and scrambling to set up a new front line. Yeah, it felt I felt way more important in Mag than I have ever felt in Battlefield. That's how I would put it. Yeah, and Mag Mag really did. They designed an entire game around that like command structure. So I doubt I doubt Battlefield will be that regimented about it, but hopefully they Which they don't need to be. It's one twenty eight, not two fifty six, and it's a different game. Yeah. But I mean they do need to do something though, and it is a concern of mine, Sammy. It is a concern. Yeah, so hopefully they Hopefully it's a little more organized than it is right now to, you know, push people to work as a cohesive team of 64 players. All right. So let me see what else we have here. Um, Of course, Elden Ring was announced. CW writes and he's really hyped about that. I am too. Um, I want to start skipping through some of this. I don't want to get too bogged down in every single thing. Um, I have one here from an anonymous dev who, of course, I don't want to show his name. But he goes, I did like what they showed of Forza Horizon 5, Kenna Bridge of Spirits. And as a Metroid fan, I like the Metroid Dread announcement from Nintendo. But I had to be honest, E3 wasn't amazing this year. 
None of the showcases really blew me away. I was actually really hyped for the Square Enix showcase as I know they're working on some interesting stuff behind the scenes and thought it was going to be amazing and it really wasn't. I hope next year will be better, but in short term, I'm fairly confident Sony will have an impressive showcase soon, including some titles from Square Enix that weren't shown at the event. Hint, hint, this is one of my dev contacts. <laughs> but I guess that counts as after E3. Yeah, I mean... And, and and this kind of springboards, though, into a question here from Dylan and some other people. This wasn't as good as previous E3s, though, right? No, I I don't know. I think E3 has kind of gone down in quality over time, and it's it's lost a lot of its gravity. Is So I, I think it's just been on a de- the decline for a while. I obviously paid attention to all of the announcements, but, you know, my two takeaways were from E3 this year were stalker 2 and battlefield 2042 it's not like there was a ton of huge announcements that i was super excited about at e3 yeah i don't and um i guess what i will say though is i did kind of appreciate it happening though so that it was happening at the same time there is something about all the announcements happening one week that makes it more exciting for me i'm gonna admit to have a week like it, it is fun to have a week like that, but, you know, we don't really have that. Like, Sony wasn't even there, although their presence was felt. <laughs> but they, they weren't at E3. They're probably going to have their own showcase, I don't know, in the next few weeks to to month or something. But Sony, the you can't dispute that they're the top, like, in the top five for game publishers. Like, they weren't there. So... Uh, yeah, E3 isn't as fun as it used to be because not everyone participates anymore. And that's been a while where not everyone has participated. Like, Nintendo wasn't there for that's right, a few that's years. Right. And, uh, Sony, I think this is the second year in, in a row now they haven't gone to E3. And, you know, it's hosted online because of the pandemic, so that also removes some of the excitement about it. So hopefully, once people are there to be in person again, Maybe it will be a bit more exciting again. Yeah, I guess another thing I would say then is I want E3 to be a thing that's fun again because I actually do kind of miss it now. I have to admit, I wasn't sure I'd care, but I do. It was more fun when there was everyone kind of competing with each other during one week. It was more fun. But I think that then brings the question, but is it in their best interest? Was it in Microsoft's best interest? I think so, because now they have Bethesda, they combined it into one big show, and they made a splash, and everyone's like, is PlayStation in trouble now? And and you go, maybe they are. So I think Microsoft made the right decision, but we still don't know what Sony's reaction is yet, and I don't know that it would be the right decision for Sony to do it. The holiday season isn't in July. Maybe it just makes sense to wait a month, do one press conference so only PlayStation is in the news for a week. And do it mm-hmm. closer to when it's best for you, right? I don't know that, and, and I think that's what Nintendo decided to do, and they didn't go to E3 for a while. I just, as much as I want E3, I wish there was maybe people going around forcing Sony and everyone to be there one year by gunpoint and saying, do a show. I think that'd be more fun for us, well, but I don't know if it's in the best interest of the companies. Uh to, to add a wrinkle to that, though, I guess there is a, an implied gun to an extent because uh, the I can't remember the firm, the uh, the name of the firm right now that puts on E3, but they are the big lobbying group in Washington oh, yeah. that lobbies for video games. And I think there is an argument that they could go to Sony like, 
hey, we lobby for you at in, uh, Washington. Uh, we're about to go out of business if you don't attend the next three E3s. You're going or you lose your lobbying group. Oh, yeah. So that could ha- I could That's see something point. like that happening at some point. Yeah. Well, let us move on, though, to the final E3 questions. Zachariah Lattis writes in and he says, what really stood out to me this E3 was Microsoft really doubling down on their commitment to Game Pass. Nearly every game they showed off in their game showcase was followed by day one on Game Pass and quotes. I have no idea if Game Pass will be successful for Microsoft in the long run, but it's exciting nonetheless to see them putting some real effort into the strategy. I think this console generation is going to be defined more by the services and value ads that Microsoft and Sony provide than by the consoles themselves. I've been a patron for a year now and I've no regrets, by the way. Love the content you guys put out. And I'd like to thank you, Dan Gerard, for all that you do. Well, thank you, Zachariah. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, all these games are coming to Game Pass. I, I don't know that I have anything else to add except that. Yep, they are. They're not abandoning it anytime soon. The one thing I have to say is I wonder how long they're going to keep up with this strategy before they decide to make it profitable. Although... I guess Netflix huh. existed as an entity and hemorrhaged money for like over a yep. decade. So that's kind of the service model is get people so used to you that by losing money for a decade, then maybe you start making money later. Yeah, I'm, and I would say Microsoft's at least doubling down on Game Pass for another few years. There's just no way. Yeah. But you have to know or assume like I like if you look at some sales charts, it's like MLB the show, which was free on Games Pass, which is an insane coup that Microsoft pulled <laughs> off, just taking a Sony exclusive and giving it to free to Xbox people. What a slap in the face to Sony on that one. Uh, you have to go though. MLB the show's selling really well on PlayStation, it turns out. And they're yeah. are they sitting there and going, fuck? They just sold like a few million copies at 70 bucks. And we're giving it away for free. We could have made so much money. What are we doing? It's still selling. Same with Outriders. It's still selling really well on PlayStation, which is interesting. It's interesting. It's an award of attrition, but it is interesting. There's got to be some really interesting conversations going on behind the scenes at these companies. Well, and I would have to say, if it is a war of attrition, uh, Microsoft does win the war of attrition. Like Games is like a, a rounding error in Microsoft's revenue. Yeah. When Sony, Sony pretty much is PlayStation at this point. Like, I know it's not that simple. They have a bunch, they're in a bunch of different industries, but if PlayStation goes down, Sony's But that's worth mentioning though. Well, gaming is a rounding error for Microsoft. It's also matters so much to Nintendo and Sony. So they Mm -hmm. will put so much thought felt, you know, thought and effort into everything they do. Like, okay, great. They can outspend us. Well, we'll die trying because this is our whole business yeah that's true that i'm just saying that microsoft has a lot of money because so little of their revenue really comes from microsoft and it's i i think the way they probably see it at least is it's good for um it's good for like public image to have microsoft there and the only thing that really can happen in my opinion with games pass is it can keep being what it is and losing money for Microsoft indefinitely. They increase prices on it eventually to actually make it profitable or they start publishing shitty games that don't have 
that didn't take much money to make so they can make game pass profitable. Like those are, those are the only two ways to make it profitable is by, <laughs> or, or by having so many people subscribe to game pass that the fact that they're only paying $15 a month doesn't matter. Yeah. And I guess there's a weakness there with game pass where Microsoft has kind of exposed in the sort of like, cause with Netflix versus HBO, Netflix was just there before like in a real presence before HBO and had a massive lineup before HBO. But then HBO was always there. It, but I think that's the comparison with placed if PlayStation had a Game Pass competitor, you know, is like it would take a lot less money though for Sony to maybe just make the argument, hey, look, we don't have a thousand games on ours, but what we do is we give you one of the crazy good exclusives you can only play here for free and you keep it forever. It doesn't get rotated out in a few months like on Games Pass. If you add it to your PlayStation account, you just get it. And then they could, And for, I don't know why they haven't folded in PS Now and all of that into it, by the way. It's freaking insane. They need yeah. to, to compete with Games Pass, I think. But, you know, I mean, yeah, I... I I, I think that you have to keep in mind, though, if Sony could just keep some games that come every now and then for free, they could compete for a much lower price. And I kind of think that's what's going to happen. And eventually, Microsoft's probably just going to have Games Pass on everything, including PlayStation. But that's when they march yeah. in and just say, hey, we don't care where it is. Just play it. And I don't know how convincing of an argument this is on for, on Sony's part to the consumer, but like they could... Make the argument that you have a curated artisan, <laughs> an artisanal list, list of games, of games and... to play. Yeah, <laughs> who knows? They might say that. I, I think that's the best they can do because yeah, they can't fight fire and with I fire do... for sure. Yeah, because they're not going to have uh, a thousand different games on whatever subscription service they might have in the future. Yeah. Rafa Zaya writes in, Rafa Zaya writes in, and he says, I find the Xbox Game Pass for PC Windows app very annoying, but at some point there may be a compelling value there, I suppose. Do you foresee a future where many PC gamers will move away from buying games on Steam? Uh, I can't see myself doing that anytime soon, at least in general. It's not to say I won't use Games Pass, but it is to say the default for me is still Steam. And it's like with Deep Rock Galactic as an example I use, it just works better in Steam. It has less bugs. It loads faster. It runs better. And I don't need to keep paying $15 a month to play that game. Right? Like, so I know I'm yeah. always going to want to have it. So for me, I don't see that really happening so much as it's just going to be another app most PC gamers have installed. And for me, at the end of the day, it's not like I'm beating six games a month. So yeah, I, I just don't. At least for me, Games Pass isn't as isn't as uh, valuable of a prospect than it might be to some other people. Nick Rakin writes in, and he says, Hi, Tom and Dan. So now we 100% know that Starfield and the Outer Worlds 2 will be exclusive, but I read that Todd Howard was rather vague about the possibility of The Elder Scrolls Six being on PS5. Do you think that's something Microsoft would even allow? Or could it be something like PS5 gets the game a year late? If it's PC, Xbox only, I think it'll be a, getting an ultra-wide... Speaking of, when's LG updating that 38-inch model? Yeah, I'm not, well, let's not, we're going to skip that question. <laughs> Other than that, I'm hopeful for Battlefield. So let's just focus on your Elder Scrolls thing. I put out a leak about Elder Scrolls possibly being an Xbox exclusive, like, months ago. Remember, Dan? During a broken silicon. It was, like, yeah. in the thumbnail. So I'm telling you guys, just like I've leaked God of War, and I'm confident in Metal Gear Solid, I'm also confident that behind the scenes, they've been considering making Elder Scrolls 6 exclusive to Xbox for 
years. Now, the question is the, or maybe not for years, they haven't even had them for years, but you know, for yeah. months. Uh, but what I will say is, you could make the argument this doesn't quite prove anything right with Starfield. Starfield being an Xbox Windows exclusive makes sense. I mean, I think of Bethesda games as PC-centric anyways already. And more so on Xbox than PlayStation 2. I don't think anyone thinks of Skyrim and they think PlayStation first. Some people might. I don't know. Um, but I think you've always kind of thought of that on the other side. And Starfield is a new series. So making a new series exclusive to Microsoft stuff, that's really not even uncalled for. This happens all the time. Sony buys Deathloop. <laughs> that's Bethesda. Yeah. They have Beth, but it's not an existing series. Now, the Outer Worlds 2 is a, and the Elder Scrolls 6 are a different example. Outer Worlds 1 was on PlayStation. So making Outer Worlds 2 exclusive, to me, could indicate, though, that Elder Scrolls 6 might be. But I'm not sure. Elder Scrolls 6 is also a much bigger game, though. Yeah, Outer Worlds, uh, honestly, I'm a little surprised it's getting a sequel. I thought it was pretty lukewarm on sales. Got so. good reviews, of course, but... The yeah, yeah, it's a highly regarded game, but just not many people played it. So I, I, I just don't think there's as much of a like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There, there's not much as much of a precedent really for the Outer Worlds being a all platform series. With that being said, I, I don't know. I, I kind of think I, I'm. I think I'm leaning towards the Elder Scrolls Six at this point being an exclusive to. To uh, PC and Microsoft at this point, just because I'm too. To, to me, it seemed like they weren't even quite sure what they were doing with the studio when they bought Bethesda originally. Which, when we were talking about it when it was first announced, why we were like, it doesn't seem like they're going to make their games exclusive because it's kind of what they said in the initial. Well, I always expected some of them to be exclusive, but I was never sure if it's going to be like all of them. Yeah, I, yeah, I was guessing some from maybe their smaller studios might remain exclusive or something like that. But it sounded from their press release like they were saying they were going to keep it all platforms on all platforms like they kind of said it yeah. wide that uh bethesda was going to remain its own independent entity which now it seems like they've decided they're going to try to make bethesda games exclusive to microsoft platforms and you know elder scrolls 6 probably isn't coming out until like 2024 probably 23 24 i guess so there's still years where they yeah. a couple years i guess where they could decide that they're going to put it on ps5 what if, if games pass is on ps5 by then anyways but they require you only can get it through <laughs> games pass i don't know if sony would allow probably that, not maybe we'll see but I, I i why can't i think we'll see how starfield goes i guess because i i think that's probably going to go into part of their calculus like, oh sure are we going to keep it exclusive like did this do well enough where we're going to keep it exclusive or do we think we should put the elder scrolls 6 on all platforms now, at the end of the day, I own a PS5, but I also don't really care because if I get the Elder Scrolls 6... It's going to be on going PC to get anyways PC. the whole time, right? So it's not like we <laughs> yeah. give a crap. <laughs> like, I, I think everyone if, <laughs> Like, if you have the opportunity, you should definitely get Bethesda games on PC. I guess I would feel a little bad for some people who did, though, like the Outer Worlds 1 on PS4, and now they know they can't get it on their PS5, and they don't have a PC. I mean, me and you truly don't have a dog in yeah. this fight. I mean, we mostly game on PC. This is... You know, <laughs> yeah, but I guess the final thing to discuss, which I believe you might disagree, is about the um, I, I mean, I'll just call this portion of it. Did 
MGS remake and Silent Hills just get confirmed? In your opinion? So wait, well, let's start with the first one. Death Stranding Director's Cut was teased for PS5, and they basically just had a Metal Gear Solid trailer <laughs> for their Director's Cut teaser. Yeah. Bizarre. Because Kojima's such a weird person. Of course he would do that. I mean, do you think that confirms it again? I mean, because I'm telling you guys, I know behind the scenes this game exists. You can choose to believe me or not, but... Uh, I, I mean, either that is a teaser for MGS Remake or <laughs> by Bluepoint, or uh, <laughs> or it's uh, Kojima saying he's done with Metal Gear Solid or both. Well, but, but it like, could be both. I never said. I never yeah, thought he was because, involved with the remake. Yeah, so it could be like he, he was putting the Metal Gear Solid box on the shelf like he's done with it, but... It was also a Metal Gear Solid trailer, so I, yeah, I don't know what that means, but we'll we'll see. Also, yeah, and in this again, Death Stranding trailer supposedly, people were pointing out that oranges are a thing that Kojima would definitely know and has referenced before, uh, signify death, kind of going back to the Godfather. Mm-hmm. Do you think the oranges signify Metal Gear Solid's dead, or I was like, or could it mean? That it was dead, he poured the oranges out and he put it back on the shelf. I think symbolisms-wise, I think the the metaphor is, or the symbol in a movie is an orange represents death. So an orange being on screen is supposed to represent death if that's what he's going for. <laughs> Which, I know he's a cinephile, oh, yeah. so I'm assuming there was some type of implied symbolism there. Yeah, which would just mean he's not working on it anymore. But again, I think anyone thought he was. Yeah. Um, All right. Now, Silent Hills, there's a gigantic Charlie Day meme conspiracy going on that Silent Hills has basically just been confirmed as being alive again. I was kind of convinced it was. And as you know, this was never one I doubled down on. But this was one where I heard it's most likely being revived. You know, that was a while ago, but that is what I've heard. And that, as of six months ago or something? I don't remember. Maybe a year ago yeah. by now. I don't know. Um, that Silent Hills was actually going to be revived. And there's all of these bizarre references to... I mean, I mean, I don't know. I think you've done more research than me. Can you summarize the theory quickly or not? So the theory is that abandon this game that was um, announced, I guess, uh, by a, via a PlayStation YouTube trailer, and I think a PlayStation blog post, uh, like in April, is actually Hideo Kojima it, making announcing his new Silent Hill game, and there's now a web of people looking for every possible thing that you could connect between Silent Hill or Hideo Kojima or anything back to this trailer and uh, the company that made uh, that's supposedly making the game. Um, I think that's the best way to summarize it. There's weird coincidences like uh, what uh, the director of Abandon has Hideo Kojima's initials and his last name translates to hero which hideo means hero in japanese and oh the director's last name translate to hero in turkish i think yeah but i also want to add in the fact he has a pretty common turkish last name and the reason i'm skeptical on this entire conspiracy theory is this is a game game 
developer that has made games before. <laughs> they aren't successful games, but they've made games before. And you can get them on Steam right now. And they have a couple, I think, canceled Kickstarters. So this was a company that existed in the past. So at a certain point, I think people are saying that this is a thing that Kojima set out in 2015. Because that's, at the end of the day, the only way I could see it being him. I just sent Dan a link. Apparently there's an entire subreddit about the blue box conspiracy. <laughs> I mean, I love the, uh, I love the profile. I've seen that profile picture. It's a uh, picture of Hideo Kojima in a blonde wig and Fu Manchu. And uh, they're saying that's the director of, <laughs> of abandon. Yeah. Um, I, I guess let me ask this though. Let me look this up. So you said this, Started in 2015. This come yes. Okay. PT came out at the end of 2014. Is it inconceivable when he was already working on... Si People forget how old PT already is. Is it inconceivable that he started this goofy thing after PT as a way to tease the game as well? Because when you say, oh, and it was created for that reason. Yeah, that's when he started showing t Silent Hills. And then it's been dormant for a while. So... Uh but that's the th so what was him leaving Konami also a big part of this marketing strategy? No, like, it's just there's been you know th that's a, so so as part of a weird marketing gimmick for a game that Kojima never did never got to make and didn't think he was making anymore in 2015 he went back made this company that developed two games had kickstarters for like one or two more games and then and then all of a sudden uh decided to revive it so in 2021 he could have this weird trailer come out that like wasn't even a good trailer like the trailer for abandon looks kind of like shit if you ask oh, I haven't me. watched it's it a dude walking it's a dude walking no it's not even a dude walking around a forest it's just shots of a forest there's a fire that looks like a 2005 <laughs> video game jpeg like say I know people are drawing comparisons to the Phantom Pain's announcement, but the Phantom Pain was honestly looking back at it. If this is all Kojima, really obvious, and at least the trailer for the Phantom Pain was cool before it was unveiled to be with Metal Gear Solid. Like when you see that, even if you didn't think that was Metal Gear Solid, you're like, that looks like a cool game. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess the other thing people bring up is what the Dutch flag too, and that one uh, totally not a Metal Gear Solid trailer. Um, and but that could just be a reference to Gorilla, of course, because it uses the Decima engine. Yeah, and, and the other thing that I will say, there's some weird crap with the uh, what's his name Hassan Karamans. There's some weird shit with his PSN profile. Yes, that, yeah, there is that. That that's. Honestly, that's the most convincing sounding thing to me, because to me, it's a, a lot of I'm worried that on June 25th, people are just going to be like, oh, we just dug up every single possible connection to this. And we were just Charlie Day. <laughs> we were just Charlie Day, <laughs> which in the link in the description, they have a picture of that with blue box and Kojima and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, and I will say, if if this isn't all part of some grand conspiracy by Hideo Kojima. Like 
this small dev did just fuck themselves completely. Like, this game won't be well received if it's not Silent Hills at this point. I, I, I whole, wholeheartedly agree with that. <laughs> and I don't know what they were thinking because they, they were clearly playing into, playing it, into first, it a little yeah. bit. Either they're trying to be coy, like a little bit like he was in 20, what, like 14 when the Phantom Pain was announced, or there's a PR person panicking right now, like, we need to disconnect <laughs> from Silent Hill as fast as possible. Well, let me say this then. Um, all right. We like to use wagers as a way to firmly state our opinions. Would you bet money on either side that it's not or that it is? Would you bet money it is not Silent Hills or would you bet money that it is? I, I think I would go, I'll say $15 that it's not. Okay. So you are, you do believe it isn't basically, but you're not willing to bet a ton of money. You take a fun bet. Yeah, because listen, uh, there's also a part where I want to be wrong too. So <laughs> yeah, everyone, yeah, th- that's also a thing I'm not sure about. Where it's like, am I also, even though I was initially doubtful, am I slowly convincing myself that it's true <laughs> because of all these weird tenuous connections, or is was my initial assessment that this is bullshit correct? And I don't know which one is right. Uh, I mean, the the announcement is on June 25th. So I guess we'll see. Oh, yeah. Another thing was it usually tweets in Japanese time zones. Well, he tweets at, they tweet at like, I think, 2 and 3 a.m. a lot of the time in Europe. Yeah. yeah. But but I will just say, Blue Box Games is a verifiable company that exists in the Netherlands, and they have existed since 2015. Right after PT came out, Dan, it can't be a coincidence. Yeah, I, I guess I'd take another side. I'd say I want it to be true. And there were some breakdown videos that made it sound like it had to be true. But uh, having you be a party pooper makes me go, I'm not so sure here. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I don't know. It's like, yeah, I guess they have the same initials. And there are some really weird coincidences that I don't know if if that's what he was going for, though. I, I congrats to Kojima. You are the weird. The, you're a fucking psychopath. You're, 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 you're the weirdest person ever who uh, re- re- decided to spend in a probably egregious amount of money to do like a weird marketing campaign that really people probably would have just been more excited if you announced Silent Hills because <laughs> see this all, is the best argument is, for it not being true right here. Is it doesn't make sense to do this. and it's and that's just the thing like if you were really looking into like the phantom pain even beyond those like people like drawing the lines and and (laughs) figuring out the logo for metal gear solid the phantom pain before it was announced like it was clearly running in the fox engine so like it kind of had to be metal gear solid yeah Mm -hmm. and this is running clearly uh, well they advertised that trailer as on in unreal but what if it's an old game would be in decima Dan. Oh, yeah. From 2015. To that, like, to like that weird, kind of bad looking game. All right. Enough. Enough. We've spent enough time on this, but I did enjoy the conversation. I assume people listening will as well. I think that's going to just about do it for the E3 wrap up. There were, you know, a few other honorable mentions here from a couple of names, but this episode is very rotund already. So I, I think I think we just should move on into the wrap up. 
which, I mean, any interesting stories that jump out to you here, Dan? I'll just go to order, right? So Sapphire Rapids had a die shot, and, you know, that's really interesting. Um, I'm not going to dwell on it. I've We've already kind of known what it is for a while, but, I mean... Again, this person tweeting that, that's pretty cool to see. Mm -hmm. The 6600M is 28 compute units and RTX 3060 laptop performance. So yeah, if it's a 3060 performance with 28 CUs, I would draw the conclusion then the 32 CU 6600 XT should indeed, like we've been saying, Navi 23 would oh, be, yeah. be around a 5700 to 5700 XT in performance then. I mean, there you go. Yeah. Um. The Zen 4 core counts up to 128 seem likely. We have a leak from Adore TV, which is really just saying what he's already said. Um, and we have other people on Twitter all of a sudden saying they think it's 128 cores too. Although I don't think they're lying. I think they double checked with some things, but it is like interesting. Like Adore said it first, though, it's worth mentioning. Um, all I can say is it does seem like there probably is a 128 core. At this moment, I wouldn't bet everything. I think there is, um, and I can only confirm to 100% 96 cores. I don't pretend when I, to know more than I ever do just because someone else said it, even if I think Jim's track record's pretty good on this type of stuff. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, QH Freddy writes in, he goes, one week ago, before the Dord's video and all these other Twitter people updated their info, would you have bet $50 that Zen 4 was up to 96 cores and no more for Epic? And I would say, no, I wouldn't have. And if you'll notice in my Zen 4 leak, I confirm 96 cores, and I kind of act like I believe that could be the top, but I just can't rule yeah. out more because I think they could fit more if they wanted to. And it's kind of like Sapphire Rapids, where right now I would say I know it's 56 cores, but I'm also aware of a 72-core model being tested. Who's to say that won't come out? Yeah. I'm aware of HBM designs. Uh, not uh, They all have HBM 2 but I mean, like, I'm aware of designs that have maybe a Z tile on it, you know, and that was a video I did mm. a while ago. So will that ever come out? I don't know, but I certainly wouldn't bet money against it. Just like I wouldn't bet money against the 72 core Sapphire Rapids. It could come out. Good. Uh, although I'd say, yeah. Genoa 128 core is more likely than the 72 core Sapphire Rapids. Um, Rembrandt appears in some embedded form. So again, not much to say. There it is again. Rembrandt Zen 3 Plus, <laughs> the Zen 3 Plus chip. Uh, well, oh, yeah, if Stalker 2 uses 158 gigabytes, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, the most I can say about that is ho hopefully that changes before the game comes out because... That's absurd. Listen, devs, you need to get your game sizes below 100 gigabytes. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be because it uses a hard drive, I'd assume, unless it's the biggest game ever yeah. made, I don't know. Um, Razer Blade 14 with an RTX 3080 and an AMD 5900HX was announced. I think that's a big deal. I It's a pretty big deal having that level of performance and such a small form factor. That's Well, no, but cool like um, Michael Unterhuber writes in and he says, I was really surprised about the Razer announcement. What about you guys? What do you think about this laptop? I'm hoping they'll release a 15-inch version with Ryzen as well. I think that's the surprising. I mean, we've been knowing that We've known that Razer's been talking to AMD for a few months at least, but I don't know that I expected it this soon. I kind of thought it was going to happen mm. with Rembrandt if you were to put a gun up to my head. And I don't, that doesn't surprise you to see Cezanne just pop up in it? I mean, you are right. I guess it is pretty fast now that I think about it, but... No, not I don't oh, know. fast to come out, you mean? Yeah. Ooh. 
But I don't know. They they had to sell them to someone. Yeah, I mean, well, I don't know. I, I just Razor's had such a relationship with Intel over the years. Yeah, that's true. Um, also, more Windows 11 leaks. Don't really have much to say. <laughs> what we'll see, yeah. we'll learn about it tomorrow as of recording this, right? Uh, as of when this comes out to the free thing. Oh, as, yeah, yeah. Um, Intel licensing Sci-5 IP and cores for Risk 5 7 nanometer architecture. Hey guys, who said this? Who said it? Who said Intel's looking <laughs> to evolve past x86 months ago? And also just had the guy from Sci-Fi on where we laugh about if Intel is working with them. Who did it? <laughs> Boy, here. Tom's shotgunning a beer oh, now. Sh- oh, sh- Tom, put your shirt back on. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just bringing it up. We got to bring that up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Tom's just dual fisting beers and jumping up and down all of a sudden this week. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of shotgunning, let's shotgun the beers that are these last questions with the final reader mail, because I'm getting tired and this episode is crazy long, but we knew it would be, you know, we knew it would be. Yeah. Bullethead writes him. Hey, Tom and Dan, in Broken Silicon 104, you talked about how people seem to be okay with technology holding back next-gen gaming. I think what you're talking about is an interesting overlap in two segments of gamers. The first are gamers who don't care about photorealism in games and or think it's an active detriment by driving up production costs. Well, the second are people who priced out, who are priced out of being able to get to next-gen performance. Well, I think there's always been an overlap of these two groups at the beginning of a generation. I get the feeling that it's growing bigger due to the general economic situations worldwide and all of the supply chain disruptions. People don't see any way to get the hardware to make next-gen gaming viable in an affordable way. So the actual value of games that push next-gen graphics and require the latest and greatest tech drops in their eyes. Therefore, having games they can play on hardware they already own becomes more important, which might explain why Sony's pivoting its cross-gen plans. They know they can't fill demand for PS5, so they're keeping the PS4 users happy in an effort to get them all to transition to PS5 so supply improves and catches up to demand. That said, I don't think the people who don't prioritize photorealism are against new technologies that improve gaming, like Unreal Engine 5's tool sets. They seem, they mostly seem to want a freeze on graphics to bring costs under control so developers prioritize other technical aspects like game AI or building more interactive open worlds. Well, I think that's undoubtedly going to happen. I think you're going to see graphics somewhat freeze at what you see with like Horizon and Unreal Engine 5 and all of that stuff. You know, I think you're going to see that level of graphics just be the standard. And and you still need better hardware to, to uh, get th- those types of improvements to games anyway. Like AI? Which is what, yeah, which is what annoys me about certain people where they're like... Why are you uh, making this stronger to get better graphics? It's like there there are other enhancements that you can make to a game that aren't just graphics that leverage stronger hardware. Right. <laughs> you got yeah. It. I mean, what I would also say is, I mean, I, I guess the argument, though, that it's like, well, Sony's pivoting. I don't know if they are. I mean, I think Horizon was always going to be cross-gen. They started development on that like four years ago, five years. Like, that's an older game. That one didn't surprise me. It was cross-gen. The, uh, it, it only does not how good the next-gen version looks, actually. God of War and especially Gran Turismo really surprised me, though. Like, there's no reason. Yeah. I, I mean, especially Gran Turismo. I've said this before. Like, it's ridiculous. There is like one game every two decades. There's no need to put it on PS4. Everyone's going to be buying this for the next... 10 years. Why would they put it on PS4 and hold it back? I think that's stupid. I think there's no reason for that. Um, But 
you know, I don't know. I guess they're doing it. I, I just would guess they were kind of probably considering doing it the whole time. I doubt they're just backboarding. I could be wrong, though. I have heard it's easy to port games between the two consoles. Um, uh, but anyways, though, it would be better if it was on next-gen only. And I, the, the argument I have against people, though, saying P- they're porting things to PS4 because not people can't get a PS5. PS5's outselling where the PS4 was at that time. So I don't really... I'm not really empathetic to that argument that doesn't make any sense to me that'd be like saying they should have not put games on ps they should have kept games on ps3 because the ps4 is taking longer to sell than the ps5 so i don't get this argument actually yeah i it, to me it sounds like there's a group of people that i don't know doesn't want to use google or refresh a best buy web page harsh um, from dan because it's too hard what <laughs> dan not taking any shit from these arguments anymore apparently yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think no matter how you dice it, better hardware makes a better game. It doesn't need to be graphics. And that if you want technology to move forward, you got to move forward. Um, in terms of everything else you mentioned, though, about like the economics of it, I think there is a bit of a polarization, though, I would say, where maybe the PS5 is outselling because you have more people with the money to buy it right away. But then there's still a larger plurality. There's less people in the middle. There's just a larger plurality going, I just can't afford to get it. That's the only thing I would say in his yeah. defense. Yeah. And I'm not saying Bullethead is wrong because I think he's right. That, that is, is two the, people. At yeah. least the perception. Yeah. That that those are the two people that are um, not very amenable to hearing anything about new things because, I don't know, they either can't or don't want to buy something new. Yeah. All right, Tick Dickler writes in, and he says, Hi, guys. I have a question I keep asking myself, and I wanted to hear people smarter than me talk about it. Well, I don't know if we're smarter than you, but we'll see if we can answer your question. How the hell did Intel manage to book so much of TSMC's N3? I thought that AMD had established its rights to Apple's sloppy seconds, and with Zen and Radeon being, which, to those listening, by that he means Apple moves to the newest node, AMD buys up everything as they Mm -hmm. transition every year. Um... And with Zen and Radeon being a literal money printing operation, surely they'd pay top dollar too for that allotment. Did AMD get shafted here? Was it because Intel whipped out that quad core Nazi gold they've been hoarding from the past 10 years? Or was Microsoft and Sony's influence the only reason that so much N7 went to AMD in the first place? Cheers. Um, I would say that it's just Intel has a bunch of money and they bought it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, I really say that's I, I don't that's know what simple. else to add to that. You know? As a backup in case their own node isn't, you know, so they can make some products there, especially graphics products. Mm-hmm. Uh, Timo writes him, general question in longer term semiconductor prospects and supply chain. There's more demand from outside of traditional tech electronics than ever before. I mean, look at the audio industry, the auto industry. How can supply chain and business management improve or solve future supply shortages? I assume it is cyclical as GPU situation is slowly getting better. So to avoid mistakes, the audio indis- the auto industry made. Ah, we're falling asleep here, guys. There's, we're almost done, though. <laughs> um, honestly, I think what's going to happen is some people will buy up as much as they can, and there will just be a period of overproduction. Then it'll collapse. They'll lower capacity. There will be somewhat of a shortage again. I doubt it will be as bad as this, though, because I think people are realizing everything uses silicon, and you're an idiot if you don't think people are going to buy it. So probably don't cycle down as much anymore. Yeah, I I mean, this is a mistake that you only learn once every 100 years is because uh, pandemics don't happen that often. But I think the auto industry and a bunch of industries realized they made a mistake by assuming that demand would be lower. 
uh, during a pandemic, which, you know, that was, uh, I think, an assumption that everyone had that, I don't know, if we have another pandemic 20 years from now, I bet auto the auto industry doesn't cycle down uh, purchasing of chips as much. Well, I mean, I think when things are scary, you just act conservative because you don't want to lose all your money. Yeah. Having said that, though, it makes sense. You might go, oh, well, in hindsight, though, I mean, people can't fly, so they're going to drive. And people working from home have more money because they're not, you know, <laughs> they're, they're not going to work and buying lunch all the time. They're cooking at home more often. They're saving money. In hindsight, it seems obvious, but before, no one knew exactly how bad this was going to get. So, Yeah, and I don't think, like, the people that are able to work from home, I, I don't know back in March of 2020 or April of 2020 if people realized how well people were going to be able to adapt to working from home. And uh, I bet a lot people thought a lot more people would lose their jobs than did. It's not to say a bunch of people didn't lose yeah. their jobs because I know a bunch of people did. But going back to April of 2020, I bet the people thought it was going to be, um, at least from the jobs perspective, is going to be worse than it is now. Yeah. All right. That is the final reader mail. Sorry if we couldn't get to your questions. We'll try to get to them in the mailbags in the future. Or again, you know, just keep putting them in there. We don't promise we'll get to all of them. We get to as many as we can. But this is a long episode. It was recorded late because it's coming after FSR. And I even put out a video in the same day. I am exhausted. I are tired. We did it, bro. Yeah, but you know what I know, bro? episode in the back. Freaking did it, though, bro. Dude, let's shotgun those beers again, bro. Uh, hell yeah, bro. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans... Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead 
at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Loud, James Crassa, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Deezeru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Coledict, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchek, Ivan214, J. John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Grow, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Tick Dickler, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S. Blake, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Acker, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zoot Suit Taylor, Trevor Powers, Sue, Elenia, Nanyan, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Dan Galanowski, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain 2049, Layton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Donovan Russell, Zebra Zebras, Licky, Matt and Porchegi, David Cannon, Ricky Tan, Hulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Dehuhu, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Eddie Del Castile, Joseph Loria, Louise Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Ruul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou Markelli, Dave McCoy, Valko Malev, Gabe Langner, Romney, Morton Svensson, Michael Deaton, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Scott Ref Schneider, Mai Sharona, Y. Truey, Roman, William W. Draper, Aaron Ratz, Wakir Khan, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Gray, Peter Moore, Chris Licata, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Samuel S, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R.P. Sharma, Mita Pork, Jimmy N.G., Mads, Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, Zee Jits, Shield TV, Couteau, Dane P., John Wizink, Sam Vensel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Jeremy So, James Anderson, Jesse Jaskowiak, Ian Clifford, Tyler Lindley, MJB1, SS, and Jensen Wang, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.